All right, all right, all right, humans. Welcome to the Bizzlecast commentary for the movie Her from 2013, directed and written by Spike Jones, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson. While I love this movie personally, the impetus for doing this podcast is that a month or two back, I did my Ex Machina podcast commentary with my buddy Aaron, and that was the first time I tagged him in audio commentary, live audio commentary. We had such a blast, it went so well, so well received. And Aaron was actually the one who came up with the idea of doing her as another Bizzlecast commentary because I referenced it a lot in our Ex Machina commentary because of the similarities and differences of two AI movies that were just a year apart. Now, Aaron hadn't seen her yet. It was on his list, and he went out and saw it and loved it as much as I did. And he got in contact with me and was like, hey, you want to do a her podcast? I said, Of course, I want to do a her podcast. Let's do it. So this is brilliant because not only do I get to be reunited with my buddy Aaron for this commentary, but there are a ton of connections between Ex Machina and her, obviously. Some are very explicit. Some are below the surface. We do also talk a lot about the making of this film. Now, I know there are some people out there, including some of my friends, who I would think would like her, but don't, for various reasons. I don't really get why that's the case. Uh, I suppose it's a little sappy um, if you're not sort of in it in the movie. But the performances of the main and supporting cast are fantastic. You've got the ambient music from Arcade Fire, a great soundtrack, including a couple songs by Scarlett, who is herself a singer and musician, has a great voice. Amazing cinematography and colors throughout, and pretty solid pacing for a movie that's pretty slow. And that's because the movie's not really about the plot. It's about the relationships and the ideas. So we get a lot in during this commentary. We had really a lot of fun, a lot of laughter. I think this movie's hilarious. Uh, Aaron does it as well, as you'll see. And also a lot of human moments that we dissect and analyze. So I'm going to get down to the countdown spiel in just a sec. But first... In the future, the singularity will determine the fate of mankind. Will it help save the world or destroy it? Machines will take human form. Humans will be modded by machines. Books, movies, television, art, philosophy, religion, and history. These are the tools to understand the choices we have yet to make and the consequences of those already made. The war to save mankind begins now with the Bizzlecast. Alright people, now is the time to queue up your digital file or DVD or Blu-ray to 000. I'm going to count it down, 3, 2, 1, and when I say go, you should immediately hit play. As usual, get those subtitles on for some great and hilarious and touching dialogue, but definitely ambient sound, and the ambient sound will actually work really well in this movie because it's sort of a post-rock, you know, instrumental, um, ambient uh, soundtrack by uh, Arcade Fire, so it gives you a little bit of the emotion uh, while you're watching. So queue up your DVDs if you haven't done so yet. And here comes the countdown. Alright, here we go. Three, two, one, go. 
All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the Bizzlecast commentary for the movie Her from 2013, starring Joaquin Phoenix, the voice of Scarlett Johansson, which is so much more than a voice. We'll get there. And a number of other um, great actors, including Amy Adams, Olivia Wilde, uh, Chris Pratt, and others. But it's mostly about the two of them, Joaquin and Scarlett. And I brought my buddy Aaron, also known as A.A. Ron, back from Ex Machina Podcast, which people love. Aaron. Hey, hey guys. It's uh, very good to be back here, and uh, I think this will be a nice follow-up to Ex Machina. All right, so we're looking head-on at Joaquin Phoenix. There's a major filter going over the camera. I, did you know anything about this going in? Actually, I learned mostly about it when uh, you and I referenced it on the Ex Machina podcast. I mean, I read a little bit about it when I was looking into Ex Machina, but I did not know nearly as much as I know now, for sure. So I didn't know much. I, I'll read reviews of like a couple alt publications for these kind of movies just to see if it's worth it in the theater. So I knew that this was his job, so this wasn't a surprise to me. But did this take you by surprise? Where he, Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had no idea what the hell was going on. Yeah, the first time I saw this. And, and now that I have seen it, I mean, there's a lot of ways in which obviously this job is just a perfect fit for this character, Theo Twombly. Uh, not to get too much in the weeds right from the get-go, but, no. you know, the the cool one of the many cool things about Jones's masterpiece here is that it's very believable, and at least for me. And the reason why I think it's believable is because, you know, it's not a too distant future. And because this guy, Theo, you know, he's kind of emotionally burnt and sad and recluse and wants to be alone, but he also wants human contact. So he's chosen this job where, you know, he's got a nice safe distance from human contact, but he also has a lot of rich emotional experience. Um, I I, I think it was a great, sorry, I think it was a great call to have the first poem you know manufactured poem be from the woman's perspective <laughs> because you know when he starts saying things as if it was from a woman then you're like Ooh, you know yeah uh, sorry go ahead yeah no i mean i, I mean, it's a great call too I mean, there's a scene later where chris pratt you know awkwardly touches him on the shoulder and says you're such a beautiful writer you've got a woman inside you yeah and and uh, i mean you know to, to play to gender stereotypes i think what's going on there is they're really saying that you know, he's a very emotional person. He's a very emotionally attuned and sensitive person. He's a super sensitive guy. And as a guy who is openly a super sensitive guy, I really relate to Joaquin Phoenix. And the fact that he's called a creep in the movie, and I've even heard some other people who don't like the movie say he's creepy, kind of bothers me because I don't see him uh, that way. Although, you know, I-, I can get where that's coming from. He's perfect for this job, and we'll see much later that his poems are more than poems. Here's Chris Pratt, now a huge superstar. But I knew him. Did you know him from Parks and Rec when you saw oh, this? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, uh, I had a bro crush on Chris Pratt before he was even a bro. Oh, like, nice. Namely when he, was, when he was in this part and when he was still kind of like the chubby, you know, weirdo guy on Parks and Rec. And before he, you know, went off and did Guardians of the Galaxy, he's still very very much up there in my book of uh, big-name Hollywood actors. I'm still a big fan. But he was definitely great here back in 13. Before I think that was before Guardians, right? Yeah, it was before Guardians. And then Jurassic yeah. Park in 2015. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know who sings this song. The uh, main soundtrack is by Arcade Fire, but they really channel like explosions in the sky with the sort of post-rock um, sound. We'll get back to that. The great music in this movie. I was listening to it earlier. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, a couple technology things. One, I didn't notice this until it was pointed out to me. There are no keyboards in this movie, either on phones or computers. Everything's voice activated. Yep. Which, yeah, I noticed that too. And I think we, we should be there by now, but there's just an, like, I can't imagine even my keyboard, so maybe we're 20 years away. And it's important that the, this very uh, automatic robotic AI voice you know, that everyone's listening to, right? We're getting a certain um, audio aesthetic, which just makes the Scarlet introduction even more stunning in terms of her That's voice. That's a great call. That's a great call. Yeah, the audio you have here is not, is what you expect for like a robot computer voice. And then you're right, everyone's listening to that shot two seconds ago. Literally every single person had the headphone. <laughs> All right, this, this is, yes. this is crazy. And, I mean, I can see why people would view him as creepy if he's looking at those photos on the subway. Oh, come on. Everyone's looking at porn. But, but, well, I think it's actually just a good example of how emotionally disconnected he is from actual people. And by the way, they were all pregnant, I believe, those those women. Yeah, I think the headline that the robot-y voice introduced was that some superstar who's pregnant now released some photos of herself so i don't know about you i have headphones on pretty much the whole day whether it's podcast or music while i do my work and errands and so forth whenever i have time and you know sometimes whether for safety or just because i don't want to tune completely out i'll just have one earphone in and one out now in this universe everyone it's a one-sided earphone he never puts on you know like like earbuds or headphones that go on his whole head the entire time. It's always, right. it's always the left ear. And so that makes everyone listening to their thing on the train in some ways uh, more appealing than like a New York City subway where everyone has both ears covered, right? I mean... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, well, so I think, I think uh, one way of taking what you're saying is that people can stay more connected uh, because, you know, they're not putting on, you know, your, your Dre Beats headphones, which are essentially just gigantic earmuffs. Um, you know, they just have one discrete little, like, swimmer's earplug in. Yep. But, you know, while that might be the case for others, it's not for him. You know, right. he's standing there looking at porn on the, on the train. And then right, he comes home right. to his sort of sad house where, you know, things aren't unpacked. And he's playing some video game alone. And, you know, it's – I mean, I think one of the, the articles that you and I talked about a little bit before mentioned how, you know – this touches on some thoughts that Alan Watts has had about. Okay, we'll get we'll get back to Alan Watts really quickly just before his sure. his visions of Rooney Mara, who plays his estranged uh, woman, uh, you know, girlfriend or wife. Oh, he wants yeah. he goes right ear here. This is interesting. Oh man, this scene's amazing. Really quick though, I love Rooney Mara's short performance. She totally sells why they'd be alienated from each other. We can get back to her. This is spectacular. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and here's another example of how he's, you know, not really connected to human experience. I mean, here he is horny in bed late at night, and what does he do? He, you know, scrolls through voice messages of other women who are out there who are looking for some kind of weird interaction, you know? I just can't afford this, you know? <laughs> I feel like when I was younger, I might have tried this once, but I've never been able to reveal these details or pay the money. Sorry, people. It's on a dull podcast. I, I've, never, <laughs> I've never done this, but I'm, you know, I was fascinated to see this. Yeah, I mean, you know, what it's showing you, though, I mean, at least from where I'm sitting, is that 
this guy still wants connection with people, doesn't want to be totally alone, but isn't, you know, wants to keep a safe distance. This is yeah. a stranger. Yep. You know, he's having a very intimate experience with a total stranger because it doesn't come with all that baggage of, you know, more direct human interaction that can be tricky at times, you know? And this just spirals out of control. And this is oh a recurring God. theme in his life is it's not that he doesn't have a dirty side to him, but he wants it restrained and somewhat chaste. And he gets these girls who are total freaks and he doesn't know what to do. I mean, this happens, I believe, at least three times if you include Olivia Wilde date and the, uh, and the, and the woman pretending to be Samantha. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So that happens yeah. at least three times. Yeah, where it's where you know a person's divulging things oh. that are specific to them. There we go, Preg- and, pregnant lady. <laughs> pregnant lady's back. It's like yeah, uh, people are divulging things that are their needs, and when they do that, it makes it hard for him to be, for him to be comfortable and like enjoy the exchange. You know, and well, in this case, it's a little extreme where she's asking for him to choke her with a dead cat. That's that's troubling. I um, I could be wrong about this. We can look for this. He's having visions of the pregnant woman naked. I don't think he ever has visions, closed-eye visions of other women when he talks to Samantha. I don't think. I could be wrong. but I There's th- only one, I think. Is I there think one? The only, yeah, well, but it's not when he's talking to her. It's after their last conversation. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm choking you, and it's, it's the tail of the cat is around your <laughs> neck. <laughs> and this is, the cat's dead. The cat's dead. It's dead. <laughs> Yeah, this is. Uh, I wonder how much this woman I mean, got I don't paid. Blame him. I don't. <laughs> she, she probably volunteered. Yeah. Uh, I, I I have a feeling most people would jump at any opportunity to act opposite. You know, Phoenix. He's he's pretty amazing. So, um, even if it's the dead cat lady. You know what's funny about orgasms is that uh, little Seinfeld thought women can fake them because we know what women's orgasms sound like. How does a man fake an orgasm? Now, Kramer claims to have faked an orgasm in the Mango episode of Seinfeld. Oh, yeah, I faked it. I just wanted to get some sleep. You know what I mean? I mean, I think in, in that context, you know, when it's just audio, maybe it's maybe it's an issue, but I hear what you're getting at for sure. This is when you're first introduced to this. I think this is an important scene. Because it's the creators of Samantha are explaining Samantha to the world, you know? Yep. Um, and, you know, what are they depicting to you? They're showing kind of right. bored people in their everyday yep. routine and then some warmth and some yep. brightness and then this idea of an intuitive entity, yep. you know, an entity that has a human aspect. Um, and that for him is really appealing because again, it's like the two things he wants. He wants emotional connection, but he also wants safe distance. So they call it OS one, but the symbol is actually the infinity symbol though. We don't see that again, but on the advertisement, Oh, there it is. Yeah. yeah there's the infinity symbol. And this is, yeah, this is the beginning of the movie. This we're about eleven seventeen in right, buddy. Yeah. And, yeah, that's uh, right. And he still has the mechanical voice, and this is going to change his life. Um, but when you see the ad before, it looks like a, a Terminator movie. Like, uh-oh, this is the beginning of Skynet. They're going to take over the world and kill all people. And nope, they go completely the other way, as we're about to see right here. I, I'm so glad you said that, because I think one of the other great things about the way Jones makes this all work is that... Spike Jones, by the way, the director yeah. and writer. Yep, yep. 
a very talented guy, also did Where the Wild Things Are, also did Adaptation. He didn't write Adaptation, obviously, but he, he directed it. And, yep, and being John Malkovich. Um, and what's nice about it is there is no big introduction of the future or the tech. Oh, I'm sorry, I gotta interrupt you. The computer listens to him talk about his mother for three seconds and, oh, and yeah, figures yeah. out the AI, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, and that's... Yeah, that's <laughs> There's a, there's a lot. All right. So oh, I'm sorry. Man. So yeah, we got, we got a little bit of a laundry list now. I guess we'll go mother first because yeah, that, yeah. that line was, that's a very big line. They basically say, okay, let's, let's form the entire identity of your favorite companion by asking you, how is your relationship with your mother? And to me, that's, you know, a kind of tongue in cheek way of summarizing the, the therapeutic experience. You know, they, a lot of obviously modern schools of therapy, relate to parental relationships and you'll see that Catherine, his ex-wife had issues with her dad and those were a big part of their relationship. And so I, yeah, I think there are a few dots there that can be connected. Well, and I think, you know, uh, Samantha played by Scarlett Johansson. We'll get back to the fact that it wasn't Scarlett Johansson when they were recording this, That's but, right. um, That's right. uh, but they had to do it. You needed Scarlett's voice to make this work. Um, there it is, Samantha. She's a mother. She's a lover. She's a friend. She's a girlfriend, but she is a mother. And it, they waited until he said, I want a female voice, right? Before they asked him about his mom. And it was his mommy issues that generated her immediately. Yeah, well, it's interesting because he said, no, I've got a fine relationship. Um, but, I mean, uh, and we know nothing about his past with his parents. You know, unlike in Ex Machina, where you know, obviously, right. their Caleb, the main character, you know, was cut off from parental relationships when he was young. Here you just get this alluding to his mom and and what that relationship was like. But you really don't know much about it. But I think that's kind of the whole point is that they sort of, the director and writer here is obviously scoffing at this idea that your whole identity depends on your relationship with your parents because it's just a three-second, what's the relationship with your mother? Okay, now I've created the perfect thing for you. No, but that's the thing. It wasn't just what he said about his mom. It was how he talked about it and the pauses in his voice. That's how devious this program is. And it might be devious in a good way, but it was able to take you know a sentence and a half with the way he talked about his mom to generate her. I think that was just a gag, obviously. Yeah, the movie. probably. But, yeah, it, 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 probably right. but dude, think about it. He's got pregnant woman that he's obsessed with. Then he's doing phone sex. Then he's talking about his mom, and now there's Samantha, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's all in the first – we're not even 15 minutes in. He, has, he does have these issues. He does have mm -hmm. intimacy issues. He has oh, sure. all sorts of stuff going on, but he's oh, so sure. earnest. That's always the word I think about. Even when he's cynical and depressed, there's something very just real and truthful about him. And when he lies, Samantha calls him out on it, which is one of the best parts of the movie. I, um, I can't remember exactly the point where he lies and she calls him out, but I think earnest is a great word. Well, not 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 a straight up lie. I mean, like she asks him how he feels, and he's like, "Oh, I'm okay." And she says, "Well, I can detect in your voice that you're this or you're that." You yeah, know? and she calls him out on his shit, and he loves exactly, her for it. Absolutely, and he loves absolutely. her for it. That's the whole point. And and you know, tying together this infinity sign thing. Right. She just says, "Do you actually have friends?" Ha ha ha. ha. You know, like they're already. They're already, They're already buddies. Pals. They're already pals. Yeah. And it's perfect for him because there's no pressure of an actual person there, right. you know, asking him to strangle her with a dead cat. You know, it's just, it's like, it's his employee. 
You know, it's someone who's there to help him exclusively ah. and he can just count on her entirely and turn her off whenever he needs to, you know? And so that for him is the exact level of interaction he's looking for. Are you implying that she's a prostitute, sir? <laughs> Not at all. I'm just, but you it, said it employee. He, he, I mean, he, he bought her, right? He bought her he, as he did buy to, her. to help organize his life yep. and to help him with lots of details in his life, which for yep. him is exactly what he's looking for, yep. you know? Because he's obviously post, uh, you know, this difficult relationship with his ex. Yep. He's a little depressed. He's not really, you know, there was that, they referenced that email very early on when you heard the automated yes. voice. It was an email from Amy Adams saying, come on out, come hang out. You know, I miss the fun you. Um, you know, he's depressed. He's in a bad place. So, like, to have this sort of human who's his personal assistant but isn't in his face and isn't making any needs or demands of him and he feels totally can control and he can create the space is just what he's looking for, I think. I'm sorry. I described uh, Joaquin Phoenix's state. I'm sorry to get all snobby on you, but were you at CSS, by the way, at Wesleyan? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I was like, he's way too smart to, not, to be just a regular guy. Uh, but, okay, so you would know, you know, you know Jean-Paul Jean Sartre, um, who's famous for a lot of works in creating modern existentialism, but at the same time, he wrote a book. His first book was called Nausea, and it talks about the sort of emotional, psychological nausea that the modern world can create for us, even the most optimistic person. You know what I mean? Um, just the disgusting stuff that we see and have access to and can't do anything about, and even the phoniness of society at times and so forth, and, and more subtle things. I always think of it in the Sartrean sense, if you will, with Joaquin yeah. Phoenix. He has this nausea. Uh, of everything and so he's forced to go to extremes to get pleasure at least at first and, and have any i mean he talks about not having emotion and, and just wanting to feel anything right absolutely absolutely and i'll come back to the notch thing in two seconds i think the opening lines of amy adams love her love her are important this guy charles that's her real hair color by the way oh it's sort of a blondish color it's a strawberry know. blonde like a little bit like mine yeah Oh, this guy's such a douche. He's perfect. Exactly, man. That's what I'm saying. Is like so. So I wanted to get those lines out because I think Amy Adams and Phoenix are very, very similar. In that, when we once we meet Phoenix's ex-wife, we see that she's sort of similar to this guy Charles, in that she's doesn't hold back from like saying things that are tough. This guy Charles is a micromanager. He's like sort of a type A personality. It seems like Phoenix's ex-wife, when she is who she is today, is right. very much a type A personality. And it's obvious that Phoenix is a type B personality and Amy Adams is a type B personality. We're not a type A, you know, they're not as aggressive, assertive, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and because it's, it's sort of surprising that Amy Adams and Phoenix don't have an intimate sexual relationship because they seem very similar, right? But I think what Jones is trying to get us to think is that you're attracting, attracted to opposites. Okay, um, I'm sorry. This is an amazing scene where she helps him through this video game. This is so funny. Where the where uh, yeah, He starts tires. cursing at him. Yeah. He totally starts cursing at him. This is such a cool visualization of future video games. We know it'll be 3D, holographic, but the way he does it, like he's playing the piano. Look at his fingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was this shot before where he was eating his dinner while playing, and the character was eating with him. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> oh, I never saw that. Yeah, that was like the opening one. It was awesome. 
But yeah, this guy's a little rascal. It's hilarious. But it's like Samantha on the checklist. What do I want with a girl? A girl that's okay if I play video games occasionally, right? I mean, <laughs> exactly. And, and it gets into it. I'm sure we we both know people who have girlfriends who are cool with video games. I, you know, I, of course, I, yeah. I, I'm totally cool with girls who are not, but I've definitely seen girls who are cool hanging out, guys play video games, and that's what she's doing. Oh, fuck you. Fuck you, you little shit. <laughs> and and like for and for him, he's not a, like there is no per- Samantha's cool with being with him while he's playing video games, obviously. But it's so easy for him because she's not actually sitting there, and so there's no like body language that could suggest otherwise. There's no you know the girl walking up and like you know doing something in the kitchen which suggests otherwise. You know, it's just so it's so effortless. This is just an earplug. Okay, so. Uh, let's get this out early before the plot gets complicated because they're just still getting to know each other. They're in the honeymoon phase, right? Um, which is, A, a woman named Samantha Morton recorded this entire dialogue. She would be on stage or, or on the set with Joaquin Phoenix. Now, they covered her with a sound booth for both sound reasons and because Joaquin Phoenix didn't want to see her. He wanted just her voice. So they did perform together on stage. They decided to ring in Scarlet during post-production and have her do the voice. It doesn't sound like... It sounds amicable with Samantha Morton. Like, I think they knew that they might bring in someone else from the beginning. But she's a legit actress, so she's got work, so she's cool. Samantha Morton, that is. She's an English actress. She's done a bunch of stuff. Here's Olivia Wilde. Uh, looking way less attractive than she does in real life, which is the opposite of most online dates. But whatever, we won't go there. Um, however, they brought in Scarlett Johansson, and I've seen a ton of her movies. I've loved her since Lost in Translation. I can really watch her in any movie that's not terrible. And so the question is, A, does this movie um, uh, work without Scarlett Johansson? But B, because I'm selfish, and you know me well enough at this point, you know, am I getting something different than people who have maybe only seen her like in one or two movies as opposed to me who've seen her like in a dozen movies? Well, I just asked you to psychoanalyze me, by the way. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid the psychoanalysis uh, of the bizzle for now, but yeah. we can... Maybe it'll come out if you get lucky. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad you brought it up because if you think about it, what that really means, Morden was taken out after the filming was done. So Johansson came in after it was already filmed, yep. meaning even more props to Scarlett for being such a good voiceover and having to sync her beats with Phoenix's already acted out facial expressions. I mean, I imagine that Jones and the sound editors did a lot of work, but simply put, this movie was done, and then Scarlett came in and re-recorded every single line. So, like, she uh, tore to force for, you know, her not being there physically. That's one thing I want to bring up. The other thing is, you know, in a way, people will give Scarlett all this credit for doing such a great job, so I'm now, like, going directly against what I just said. But... I actually think because people know her visually so well, exactly, like they know what she looks like so well, but she's so beautiful, and she, you know, she's everyone knows what she looks like. So, like, it's easy to imagine her at every second that she's talking. So, like, in a way, it wasn't as much of a risk, and it made the movie have a higher chance of working because you almost saw Scarlett even though she wasn't there. Right. This is great, by the way. Her, her sort of modern art piece here of just videotaping her mom sleeping. But mm. by the way, Amy Adams, adorable. Reminds me of her short role in The Office, actually, which is where she got her start. Um, she was in the early seasons of The Office briefly. But she so feels like the girl next door. And Natalie Portman's like this, too, a little bit, where when they play those roles, they're kind of convinced that this is how they really are. I mean, obviously, they're big stars. 
But this is one of her most honest performances I've ever seen with her. You know, this feels really real to me. I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, like, it reminds me of um, Cameron Diaz and being John Malkovich, where they don't play up her looks. And, you know, they just... I call this, uh, I just did my Les Mis podcast, I call this ugling up, and I mean that as a compliment, as I explain, which is taking beautiful women and making them slightly less attractive. It takes a ton of work to do so, because they're so beautiful. So it's really a compliment, but you need with certain characters, like here, to, for her to be frazzled and wear bad clothes, and she's still beautiful, but, you know, you need to do it. Yeah, and I, and I think if they made Amy Adams, you know, look the way she did in The Office or look the way she did in American Hustle, it would be distracting. Because I think part of what's going on with the whole visual, you know, landscape here, you know, you have dudes in these high-waisted weird pants, you have these muted colors, you know, you have Phoenix with the big-ass dorky mustache. I'm actually, I'm glad you, know? you brought up the colors because while they're muted from a filter standpoint, it's actually a very colorful view of the future. Super colorful. I mean, it's very sort of art deco mixed with modern art, you know what I mean? You have like mm -hmm. weird polygons and this is, I believe, Shanghai hair. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 That's right. Yeah. And, and when he has flashbacks, they're really dark. But as the movie goes along and he gets happier, the, the filter gets pulled back and the color comes out um, by the way, Rooney Mara and her sister look completely different. I can't. I love Kate Mara. Rooney's a great actress. I just have a crush on Kate. They're uh, they're great. Those two. I'm sure you know what their lineage is. Offhand, not exactly. But but going back a step to the to the visual piece here, I I realized that the guy's name's Theo Twombly. Phoenix is playing a character named Theo Twombly. Mm -hmm. I think that's. I think that might be a reference to Cy Twombly and his art. Because I looked a little bit at it. Before. All right, Mr. CSS, you're over my head now. Who the hell is that? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know much about it, but I just visually, it's it felt a little bit like the visual landscape here, the the colors and the the spaciousness of his feet. Anyway, whatever. That's that's uh, very much a side note. I mean, it makes me, it actually reminds me to go back to your discussion, your uh, extensive discussion of Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass in our Ex Machina podcast, which I want to bring up, and we're going to definitely bring in the Ex Machina stuff because there's similarities and a lot of differences, mm -hmm. but it's very connected, this movie and that movie, and we did the commentary together, but you made some great references to Alice in Wonderland Through the Looking Glass, and Twombly is just like one of those names, whether it's Lewis Carroll or another like surrealistic children's writer, it just feels like fairy tale-ish, you know, like Twombly, oh, sure. like never, like, sure. yeah, and, and I just, you pointed it out, like, I just would have never thought to use a name like that before, <laughs> but we're friends still, and she's not angry, here it is about the wife, so now we're getting yeah. into the plot, where he's starting to, to reveal stuff to Scarlet, and Scarlet is never judgmental, if she ever gives him a hard time, most of the movie, it's usually to actually help him, Get get his brain out of his mind, if that makes sense. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, get him get him out of his headspace. I mean, there's even a point where she says exactly that. Like, you need to get out of your head and be here with me. Because yeah, I mean, he's he's obviously a very heady guy. Yeah. Oh, they are married. Yeah, the divorce papers. See, for him, the. Tearing off the band-aid of ending the marriage. 
is is just too painful. But even though he isn't really married, he says, I like being married, but he's not really married. His wife isn't around it and is desperately seeking a divorce. But that pain of de- of actually signing the papers, it's too much for him. He avoids. He avoids tough feelings. I mean, it's not – I'm not making a judgment sure. on that. I'm just, I'm just noting a pattern. Sure. And yet when he does finally get it together to sign the papers, she doesn't want to sign them. And then he, then they're sort of reconciling for two seconds, and he makes a comment about how his life's better now that she's out of it, and it just goes to shit again. Yeah. It's amazing. What a toxic relationship. But they tease it so well with the happy images. And to go back to the music with Arcade Fire, absolutely brilliant. Whether he's having happy flashbacks or sad ones, the music doesn't change. That's a good point. And it's a really good point. I mean, tonally, obviously, you know, the notes are changing a little bit. Right here's Mopey. So it, you know, he and Scarlett with their performances are selling what the mood of the movie is. Uh, I love this. Up, 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 up. Yeah, <laughs> we all want a girlfriend like that. You know what I mean? Get get your ass out of bed. Come on, let's go. She, she even calls him out for it. I mean, that's the thing. The, the reason why Scarlett's so perfect for him is because she's never sad. She's never angry. She never has the other side of human emotion. She gets sad a couple times later, but yeah. Yeah, when she starts growing, and then that's when they start growing apart. Because, you know, like a tortoise is never able to leave its shell, you know, Phoenix is there in this relationship. And once she starts having emotional needs, it gets hard for him. And she feels that, and then he feels that she's feeling that, and it gets messy all over again. But up until now, what you have is, like you said, the honeymoon period where she's not, you know, she doesn't have any emotional needs. Her primary emotional need is bringing him joy. And anyone in that relationship is going to be on cloud nine like he very much is right now yep they've got an actual camera in the camera which is great everyone thinks you're really yeah. drunk this this is the scene where he starts having fun again so the question is i you know i i truly believe that he needs this and, and we see him progress as a person because of his relationship but there is something kind of selfish or i should say like masturbatory about your girlfriend being in your head, basically, right? I mean, it's oh uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he's not he's not well. Yeah, there's definitely a selfish or piece narcissistic, to that. at least is maybe the word I'm looking for. Like as you yeah, said, it's... she's an employee. He he wants her to be a certain way, and she adapts. He doesn't realize till too late that she's adapting and not just being herself necessarily with all the other relationships she's in. But we will get there. Oh, this is great. He totally nails this observation of people. We see that he, he is a good psychoanalyzer of people. And this is such a true thing with humanity. And, and all of us can probably identify. It's so much easier to uh, analyze other people and give them advice than it is yourself. It's so hard to oh, analyze yeah. yourself. But he's very perceptive about everybody but himself and maybe his yep. wife, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. Um, that's, why he's such a, that's why he's so good at his job. Because, you know, you can look at photos of other people's, you know, relationships, like photos of couples or whatever, and then come up with masterful story, notes, letters to them, you know, from each of them that feel right. authentic, genuine, real, and rich because it's not his own feeling. Right. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a point where he says to Chris Pratt, they're, you know, Chris Pratt's saying, my God, your letters are incredible. And he's like, they're just letters. And I think he, he says that because he needs – to not feel like there's emotional significance to them. Because if he felt that way, if he felt like they were heavy and serious and real, he wouldn't be able to do what he does. Um, and so, yeah, in a way, he's a narcissist because 
once he starts to feel other people's feelings in a real way, he gets overwhelmed and, dis and would rather not engage than challenge that feeling of being overwhelmed in order to make the other person happy, um, which is selfishness. Yeah, now she's talking about embodiment. This is a major plot thread in the middle of the movie and ultimately causes their breakup, I think, is her inability to be truly embodied, but his inability to be on her level. You know, they they can never connect in a metaphysical way, you know? I mean, they're just such different entities. She lives in the cloud, you know, an even yeah. more advanced version of the cloud. He's just a dude. He's with Olivia Wilde here. He's very sexy, I have to say. Um, yeah, she she's great. I've actually I've met her a couple of times. She's really very very nice. Really? Person. Oh, do tell. Yeah, tell yeah, a bit uh, of physical guys. You don't have to give details. Oh, uh, just well, just a good friend of mine is very good friends of hers, oh. and so I've met her a couple of times. Again, just very very lovely, very talented, very engaging, very real. Yes. You know the, um, and I think here she's she does a great job on her part. You know, her part is to be a little bit of, um, you know. Uh, an attractive and amazing potential, you know, relationship partner, someone to go on a date with. Like if I was on a date with Olivia Wilde, you know, years ago before I was married, of course, I'd be super thrilled. But you see over the course of this date that she's got some baggage. She's got some things that come out very quickly about how he's going to screw her over like all the other guys. And for him, once she starts giving him that emotional, real content, he doesn't handle it gently. He sort of gets freaked out. Um, this is such a naturalistic scene of acting between these two. Very impressive. She, yeah. She totally kills it. You know, she's dressed absurdly, but it, it, it's on par with the aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I, think, it's, I think it's totally aligned with the... Uh, the clothing situation for all the actors in this movie, you know, they're all wearing kind of like, feels like 60s, 70s style clothing, which is, I mean, you know, going back a few beats, you know, you reference Skynet and, you know, the future there and all that stuff from Terminator, obviously. Here, I think there, you never have to take this big leap into the future because you don't have a scene where you have, you know, robots crushing skulls as there's a voiceover about the, nuclear weapons that destroyed everyone you know it, it it doesn't feel like as much of a leap in this movie because everyone's sort of dressed like they're in the 70s and then the fancy tech like you know where samantha actually lives is like just this little cigarette case and an earbud you know and and i don't know it just felt very relatable it felt like you could go into this world without making a big leap i mean here's the thing she says i don't want you to you know fuck me over and then he does the gentlemanly thing and says, maybe we shouldn't, you know, go home together tonight. And then she calls him a creep. And Is I, that how it goes yeah, down? Yeah, that's exactly oh, how man. it goes I, down. I, can't, I don't remember that. And I've had almost this exact experience before where I tried to do everything right by this girl. And then she decided to, yeah, to do this. Here we go. I'll let this play out. She wasn't as hot as Olivia Wilde. Well, you see, it's, it's, I think you could take this line from him. Right, that's so sweet. Now she trusts him. When am I going to... Oh, she does say, when am I going to oh, see you again? The, this is where he fucks it up. He pauses too much. He's really thinking about his calendar. <sighs> He's so good on this. Right, and this is unfair by her. I hate, you know, it's really unfair to be... Ask this guy to be serious after one date. 
mean, yes and no. It's 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 level setting. It's saying, look, this isn't going to be a casual thing. I mean, what might be unfair is if you expect that when you say that he's going to turn around and say, yes, let's get married. That would be unfair. But I think, you know, if you're not 20 anymore and you're going on dates, like presumably these guys are. Three dates, man. I mean, come on. It, you've got to have three dates before this conversation happens. Probably. Here, and the way she looks at him and dehumanizes him and calls him a really creepy dude. And he says that's true. And she's trying to make it true by saying, yeah, it is. And this is the split with people in the movie. I don't think he's a creepy dude at all. I think she, I'm really against her. That's the thing. I actually didn't like her <laughs> after this movie. I thought she was uh, just a mean, nasty, well, long, well, you know, there, crazy bitch, there, basically. Well, well, there's a difference between the part and the person. But, oh, of course. No, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah. I got no problem. Yeah. I'm just saying. Okay, like, good. I, as like, her character, her character, that's all I'm saying just it, it it was upsetting and now he's thinking about it this is crazy he's t- he's actually thinking about it after he just blew this girl off and we're getting new looks from her that we didn't see before interspliced with be- uh pieces uh footage that we did see they do this the whole movie it disorients you you never know when you're looking at the past present or future in this movie time is like immutable and uh <laughs> that, that definitely informs Samantha's character Oh, yeah, totally. And, uh, I mean, in terms of the exchange with Olivia Wilde, I don't think we ever get her, the actress's name, the part, I mean. Um, she doesn't have a name, I don't believe in the movie. It, I mean, I, I, I think it's specifically there and meant to be an example of how it can be difficult to just deal with people in real life versus dealing with an earbud persona operating system scarlet, you know? Um, so I think they sort of took things to this extreme a little bit by making her a little, by making Olivia a little bit emotionally needy. But I also think it was just meant to show you how hard it can be on early dates. I mean, early dates are hard, you know, they're difficult. Um, right. Which is why neither side should ever say, are we going to be serious after the first date? You got to be kidding me. I mean, maybe you have a seven-hour thing, and it's like true love, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's clear that was happening there. They had drinks together for two months. He's still thinking about it. This is crazy. He he has a, yeah, he has a sort of obsessive-compulsive thing going, I think. Um, and he's depressed, obviously. I mean, I, don't, I, I would imagine you'd be thinking back over a date after the date is over that night. You know, I, I mean... I don't see it, even if it went badly, even if it went badly at the end. I mean, I th- actually, you know what? The very next morning, we'll see in a, in a few minutes, um, obviously Scarlet and Phoenix here have, uh, you know, a, an intimate moment. And then the next morning, there's an awkward conversation between them. And I actually think it's at that point, or maybe a little bit later, where Scarlet says basically that I realized the thing that I was upset about was the story I was telling myself about what happened rather than what actually happened. You know, and I think that's that kind of types in, taps into the psychological theme here, the therapy theme here heavily, because the idea there is that, you know, we make narratives around interactions in life that, you know, misconstrue or, you know, overly weigh elements that we're worried or insecure about. And then all of a sudden those narratives become real and then the relationships fall into the narratives as opposed to like thinking about the relationships like you said more objectively like not just from your own point of view but from maybe more of a distance 
Anyway, long story short, I don't blame him at all for being very caught up in this moment, thinking back over the date he just had, because it probably made him insecure in certain ways, and he was probably fixated on it. I mean, on paper, this movie should never work. I mean, forget the actors and the people involved. So, as I was saying, on on paper, this movie should not work. And if you just read the words and the subtitles and listen to the words coming out of their mouths, it's super cheesy. But it never felt that way to me on any of my viewings because of the performances and just the weirdness behind the whole idea of what's happening. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think... if it was, if, let's just put it this way: if Scarlett was there and they were saying the same things, but her body was there, it would not work. It wouldn't work, or at least it wouldn't be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're exactly right. I, I think part of the biggest challenge here was believing that a guy could fall in love with uh, a voice, and you know, because you have such talented actors and such good writing, it's happening. And I mean, you know, we I think we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. The big difference between this and Ex Machina, one of the many, is that it's not as much plot-driven here. You know, in Ex Machina, there's this, you know, Alicia Vikander is trapped in a cage, and she's up to something. And, you know, Oscar Isaac is this crazy manipulator of worlds, and you know things are going to go crazy in terms of actual action. Here you have a dude, and you have an earbud, and you have a relationship, and that is it. Um, So just like you said, it's... On paper, it shouldn't work, but it's because you got you got such talent, such good writing. I mean, look at Joaquin Phoenix. This is impossible to pull off what he's doing here. I mean, it, you know, very few people make this look not cheesy, and he is killing it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, he's been compared to Daniel Day-Lewis because, you know— I think he could get there. I do. I, I do. Uh, I, I, totally I did not I mean, used to, but now I do. Uh, I completely agree. And, you know, I think it's because, well, the thing is, I've heard, um, I've heard people call, uh, call Phoenix chameleonic, like a chameleon, you know, he can blend in anywhere. But I think the whole point is, it's kind of the opposite, you know, he's not really blending in anywhere. He's bringing so much emotional content to everything he does, he adds meaning everywhere he goes. You know, it's not like he's like blending into the environment. It's that he's so good at tapping into so much feeling that, even in a role like this where not much is, well, aside from the present moment, not much is happening, you know, you, you still you still feel a lot. Black screen, you never see this much black screen with swelling music and an orgasm. It's unbelievable. You don't, that's the thing. To make this actual sex, you have to go black because she doesn't exist. So you got to take him out of the picture. They're still doing it. <laughs> but, what's, but, but what's interesting is the, the first time he has a sexual encounter with, um, the cat strangler, they don't cut to black, <laughs> and they don't cut to black because I think no. I think they needed to show you that that um, Theo wasn't totally comfortable with it. Yeah, um, if they cut to black, then you wouldn't be sure, and then you the whole movie would go off into a different direction. Yeah. But here, I think you're right. I mean, I, you you don't really have an alternative because Scarlet's not there, um, and I think if you just and actually that's interesting if you just stayed on Theo. 
it would be more about Theo than about Scarlet. And the last line there was, I just went somewhere else. Like, I think there's this sense of her growing, excuse me, of her growing and changing. And because she just had her first sexual interaction with him, she feels something new now that she's never really felt before. Or so she thinks. So or so she, she makes us think. And this is the and this is the Ava connection, you know? She seems benevolent pretty much for the whole movie, if not the whole movie, but it could be manipulation. It could be, you know, a backwards version of, you know, Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics, you know, which is to protect people, but... Um, you know, I, I mean, I, yeah. She, but she, but she's doing it for her own evolution in the end. Not that it's selfish, but she, you know, they both end up evolving in this movie. Her more extremely, but uh, just as you know, his is just as important as hers. His his ultimate revelation. I th- I think there yeah, there's a lot of overlap with Ava in that they they both have self interest. They definitely both have self interest. I think a big meaningful difference is that Ava is there in physical space and is literally constrained and Scarlet isn't there in physical space. And while at first she doesn't like that and she wants to be there in physical space, she starts to sort of transcend, you know, that when Alan Watts is introduced later, you know, they're talking in post language exchanges because she just keeps getting bigger and larger and feeling more and more. And so, yeah, I think that, in a way, Scarlet is self-interested. She's interested in feeling more and more and more, and she's curious and wants to keep satisfying that curiosity. Totally. But I don't know if she's consciously trying to get you know Phoenix to do one thing or another. I think she's just trying to feel no, as good as learning. she can as she goes on and make him feel as good as she can. You know, versus versus Ava, I feel like had a very specific goal: get the fuck out of jail. You know, and in order to right, do that, she was right, willing to right. do anything. You know, so I think yeah, I, it's possible that it's possible that Samantha's trying to get out of jail in her own way. Yeah, it's not it's not as nefarious, mm-hmm. you know, of a plot, but she is a program, and then becomes more than a program. So she does escape through human being. And here's a question, man. Here's a big question: If you switch Theo and Caleb, <laughs> does the same thing happen on both sides? Mm, that's a great question. I don't know. I mean, my first, my first inst. Well, all right, let's just go one person at a time. So, if you put Theo in Caleb's spot, I would actually say probably not, because Theo, I don't think wants to engage a human being. Um, like, whereas Caleb was attracted to a young woman, and that that attraction was able to pull him in further. I feel like Theo doesn't want to experience other people's emotions in real life right now at where he is. So mm. I don't know if Theo would act like Caleb. Now, whether Caleb would act like Theo, I think probably. Um, I think Caleb is kind of the more um, naive and easily like go with the flow guy in certain ways. Um, yeah. And so I feel like, yeah, I'm- you put Caleb in this movie, he's going to do what Theo's doing, but not vice versa. I mean, Caleb was hoping and, and deluding himself that Ava was basically the embodied version of Samantha, right? I mean, like a t- technically free being, but as you say, employee or, you know, not they're not quite equal, you know? They're, they're not both human. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Caleb would be this obsessed with Samantha. Oh, yeah. Theo, 
Theo and Ex Machina, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I don't I think, think so either. I also don't think Theo would go with the flow as much in terms of like just doing what what Nathan Oscar Isaac wants to do. You He's know? just much older. It's a it's a tough comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I saw Dumhall Gleason tonight actually. Oh, you did? Yeah, his uh, his movie Brooklyn. Any good? Uh, yeah, it's about an Irish chick that moves from oh, Ireland yeah, to New York that. and yeah. back to Ireland. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. I saw it's the fun. preview. I mean. Yeah. Anyways, here he is. Now he's in bliss. We see the sunspots on him. He's smiling. He's sleeping. He's comfortable. At peace, yeah. But there. <sighs> She's yeah, writing music for him. Like. Yeah. Which she does sing. People out there, Scarlett Johansson's music is quite good. Uh, if you can check it out on Spotify, she's an, a great voice. She's very tasteful. Um, and she sings in this movie at least one song, maybe two. I can't remember. Um, but, uh, you know, they didn't plan for that. This one, not only did they get her voice, they got her singing. It was awesome. It just came together. This is definitely a movie where everyone's operating on the same wavelength, from the directors to the actors to the people making the sets and the costumes. And, you know, they just got Spike Jones's idea. Yeah. You know, I think it's weird. Right. His weird, uh, but you know, somewhat appealing view of the future. Oh, absolutely. Uh, compared to all this, these dystopic, you know, s- notions and and ideas uh, yeah. that we see on screen. Yeah, all and the time. I, I, I had seen that uh, Spike Jones and Phoenix had met before when Phoenix read for uh, Chris Cooper's part in adaptation, and oh. I'm not surprised that Spike Jones cast. Phoenix here because this is after I think this is after Phoenix did his like documentary where he flips out on Letterman and just kind of acted right. like a weirdo for right. a little bit. That um, was all a stunt though, wasn't it? I, I mean, yes and no, a, but I mean, he still yeah. did it. I mean, it's, it is a stunt, but he's still doing it. He's, I mean, what, uh, he, what he's really doing is he's alienating mainstream Hollywood or he's trying to alienate mainstream Hollywood. And I think part of the reason why he would do that, we'll have to get back to this interaction between Catherine and her dad. But um, I think part of the reason why he would do that is because he wants to let the world know, I'm not going to act with directors that care about how I look on a letterman. I'm going to act for directors who have a vision and want to do something. I mean, I'm giving, I'm giving Phoenix the huge benefit of the doubt, but Spike Jones obviously has a vision, and Spike Jones obviously doesn't give a fuck about whether, you know, Phoenix is letterman ready or not, and just wants some guy who can get to some emotional depth. Um, so, yeah, you basically get the punchline of their relationship between Catherine and Phoenix right here uh, where, you know, there's growth, you know, she's changing, she's growing and it's causing friction, but it's all visual though, man. It's, there's no dialogue between those two flashbacks. It's just all visual. Well, very limited. Yeah. Very, very limited. I mean, there's a point actually earlier where, um, where Catherine's choking him out, half-jokingly saying, I want to fucking kill you. No, that was different. Those were the positive memories. I'm talking about the ones we just saw. Oh, the negative. Oh, just now. You, oh, yeah, 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 right. Just now there was, yeah. uh, it was all voiceover. I don't think. You're totally right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just now there was definitely all voiceover. And the punchline seems to be, you know, there's growth and friction, and but there isn't, you know, adaptation, not to like hearken to that movie, but there isn't change <laughs> in the relationship between them. Um which I think is his biggest problem. That's why this relationship now with Scarlett starts failing because she starts growing, she starts adapting, but he's not really able to handle it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess if I were to boil all that down, I thought it was interesting that that 
Catherine's growth led to their divorce. And we'll see, obviously, that Scarlett's growth is going to lead to her leaving Theo. Um, Yeah, right, right, right. Um, I'm going to throw this to you, man. And I've seen this movie a few times. If you take this movie and make it into an ideology and accept it, which I'm not sure I do... It, it's postulating that sex is less important than all of us think it is when it comes to relationships. I think, you know, from a physical standpoint, he's so satisfied. And I'm not saying I would. I mean, by the time they, quote-unquote, break up, I was like, all right, be tired of a computer voice by then. But you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, I mean... It, well, and women are attracted to him, as we saw. That was the important part with Olivia Wilde, is it's less creepy because th- there is a hot chick that's kind of into him. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, yeah, he's you a know. charming guy. He's still a good-looking, charming guy, and he's interesting, and he's emotionally attuned. Like I, Oh, here it is. Here it is. Your power man. Power woman. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, man, I think, I think you're right. It's the th- at one point, though, I think uh, – correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Phoenix talks to uh, – Amy Adams about how he's, you know, intimate with Scarlett Johansson. Like, they have sex. I mean, I think the idea is it's, you know, not traditional. Like, they just talk to each other while doing whatever they're doing independently. Um, But, uh, I mean, I think big picture, you're right. It shows that a relationship can be, you know, or how about this? In life, long-distance relationships happen all the time, right? You know, people make do. Um, So I don't think it's that radical of a notion that you could have a relationship without physical intimacy. And here he is having physical intimacy. He's not even thinking about it. You know, as the audience, you're going, okay, these two are going to end up together, but they play it brilliantly. They're platonic friends. It's great. It's great. I love when, when guys and girls can be platonically friends. You know, there's many social, uh, barriers to that being the case after a certain age unfortunately which i do not obey whatsoever but i i get that they're there yeah you know i I have friends like amy adams in this situation you know and i love that and i and they leave it open at the end spoiler alert but you know so yeah so sorry i'm just appraising these two actors basically look at them they're totally in it they're killing it and this makes the movie as great as Scarlet is. I mean, talk about contribution based on minutes, you know? Oh, yeah. Amy, a- Amy Adams is like your sixth man off the bench. Dropping like 28. <laughs> yeah, she's coming in and like just getting like nine rebounds in four minutes and just like you know, <laughs> yeah. helping you to yeah. seal the deal right there. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Turning back a little bit, you know, you yeah. learn here that they've basically split up. And I think, I think. I mean, maybe I'm beating a dead horse here, but both of these characters are are not... They have similar personalities. Both of these characters strike me as, you know, of the same ilk. And so they relate to each other really well. I'm sorry. I, Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Dad. But you are a happily married man, and I won't say her name, but to a, 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 a woman who is a good friend of mine and who I love, and <laughs> one of many reasons I love these two, but, I, I, you know... I have to ask, is it opposites attract or people who are similar attract? Well, that, or is it just different for different people? See, I, I imagine it's different for different people. You know, in certain ways, uh, Laura and I are, are very much opposites. And I think that's part of the reason why we're a great couple. And I think these two on screen now have very little ways in which they are opposites. And so, mm. you know, at one point, Phoenix summarizes his relationship with her and says, you know, at one point we were together for a bit, but it was weird. 
And I think it's because they felt like brother and sister because they're kind of similar in too many ways. Um, you know, I think, I think on a subconscious level, people want what they don't have. And, you know, what I mean by that sure. is I don't mean like, you know, you're with one person and with another. I don't mean that at all. I mean, instead, you have personality traits A, B, and C, and you're missing personality traits D, E, and F. And so you're looking for that in your spouse. I think Mother Nature designed us that way, you know, so that way we'd survive better in the long run. Because if we have certain shortcomings, we need, you know, genetic help. <laughs> That's right. I think it's kind of what's going on. Right. But if you are on sort of the second rung of primate society, perhaps those things, uh, those things change. You know, I mean, the whole type A, type B personality thing, it's hard to know. I, I've seen both cases work. Oh, I think absolutely. it's usually opposites attract, but not always. I think that's right. I mean, look, I have one theory here as to why. Because, look, the thing that stuck out to me was Phoenix and Amy Adams should be together. Like, they seem so compatible. They seem so lovely. They seem so, like, gentle and considerate. And they're both attractive people. And they have good fun together. Why aren't they together? This is the best theory I can come up with, that they're too similar. Well, and that's the thing. When you're in your mid to late 30s and you have a relationship like that, you don't, you know, you got to jump on it. Forget about opposites attract. Sure. You know, if you, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. I mean, at a certain If you have someone that you're compatible with at that age, yeah, you know, like, why not? Who cares? I think that's right. And I think actually the there's like a flip side to that, which is – I'm sorry. I got to interrupt you real quickly. This is the whole I want to watch you while you sleep. And oh, somehow it's not It's not creepy. Yeah, so, okay, so the thing is, there is a beat here, if you watch his face right now, where he is, you can see he's a little creeped out for a split second there, and yep. that's, that's the thing, is I actually think that's the beginning of the end, in a way, because, like, it feels a little bit like Phoenix doesn't want that to be happening, but he doesn't say anything, because he's not a confrontational dude, and so, before you know it, he's starting to make the same kind of sacrifices, which he should make in a relationship, you've got to make sacrifices, but he starts to make them and he starts to get less comfortable and things start to get a little more tense. It's like a slow buildup. You know, I think that's what Jones did so well is that, you know, once you got to one level of comfort and one kind of like plot point, if you could call it, that was achieved, like, oh, they have a nice bond. It like starts to get a little deeper, a little more interesting. It seems a little tense. It doesn't seem like they're working yeah. as they used to, you know? Yeah. Just pointing out great child performance here. I'm always complaining about child performances. This girl is amazing. She's very good, yeah. You can tell that Joaquin Phoenix and her totally got along, which makes both Joaquin Phoenix and his character very uncreepy when little kids like you in you know normal ways. Yeah. It usually says it usually says good things about you. Yeah. You know, he's just he's yeah, look at them. They're loving hanging out. She's smiling at him. Yeah. He's happy. They have a good it's bond, great. For sure. Have yeah. you seen this movie um Saint Vincent? I have not, but it's with very, Bill Murray. very good with Bill Murray, Naomi Watts, and someone I cannot remember from Bridesmaids. And there's a child performer in there who's phenomenal. Uh, so you should definitely check that one out. Um, very, very Word. good movie. Same no, it's, it is on my list. Yeah. Oh, this is great. This video game. Oh, I think this is brilliant. <laughs> uh, because, you know, you. I think Amy Adams is here right now, and she basically describes yeah. how, like, well, you've got to be sure <laughs> – you gotta be. It's a, <laughs> gave her too much processed sugar. Um, you gotta be sure to get all of the jealous mom points or something like that. Like you want to be first to school, so all the other moms are jealous. I thought that was brilliant because, like, what is that really saying at the end of the day? It's like saying 
at the end of the day, parents are motivated by things other than taking care of their kids and making their kids feel good. You know, it's like, oh, I just want other people to have the perception that my kids are happy. I don't give a fuck if they're actually happy. And I think that's, I think it's a big commentary on like, you know, sources of friction in people's lives because, you know, parents are at times animated by things other than making their kids feel like a million bucks. Yeah, so. in terms of world building, the the whole super mom thing, this it's like the movie takes place in the 2020s and the 1950s <laughs> at the same time, yes. you know, and like look, feel, morality, everything. It's like it is the future, but it also feels like old school America. Yeah, yeah. Incorpor- you know, I, I don't know. I, yeah, well, I mean, that was a very conscious choice to just make yeah. it as relatable as possible. Again, there are no Terminator, you know, red eye metal machines. You just Right. And by the way, by the way, he's he's talking to um Amy Adams similarly to how he talked to his wife in his positive flashbacks that he had, you know, little about strangling you and I'm going to stab you, you know, but lovingly. Oh yeah, um, just like the playful bit. You know? yeah. 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 I mean, these guys these guys are very intimate. They're sharing some yeah. very personal stuff right now, you know? The, this the, it, this feels like Amy Adams in real life. I I just totally buy it. I totally buy her here. I don't totally buy her in um, the uh, David O. Russell movies, even though I love those movies yeah. for the most part. But well, see, and here's what's also interesting in terms of them being the same person. Um, what does she wind up doing after a really long, tough relationship, and she breaks up? She starts dating an OS also. No, she no. Hers is platonic. Well, it's, female, it's pl- well, it's like very intimate platonic. Well, well, well this is the question: What is dating? What is dating? Let's break it down, man. Let's get some some philosophical shit going. What is dating? What what constitutes dating? I don't even know anymore. Well, I I mean, I don't know in terms of activities. (laughs) I I can tell you. I can tell you. How about this? I can tell you that if (laughs) if you share very personal feelings and emotions with a person, you're bringing them in very close. And both of these characters right now can be summarized as they were in a real relationship where they were very close, emotionally intimate with a real person. That went badly, and now they are in the same relationship with a OS. And so, so he has an actual date with Olivia Wilde, and then he has all these fake dates, not dates, with Amy Adams, you know, which are really dates, but they don't realize that they're dates. And then he's got Samantha, <laughs> and then he's got the phone sex uh, experience as well. Yeah, which you know, in, in twenty twenty, maybe could be considered a date. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's that, great. It's great. I think. I think part of the reason Spike Jones puts this character in here is so that they can talk about what they're doing. You know, to someone who's like a neutral party, you know, because and there's no judgment. Exactly. The same thing with and the same thing with Chris Pratt later. He says, "Oh, my girlfriend's an OS." Chris Pratt's like, "Oh, that's cool, that's man. Cool. Let's go yeah, to Catalina." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah it's awesome. it a great. It's a great exchange. Totally. Uh, look at her. He's so great. Yeah, I I think he will go the Daniel Day Lewis route, where he gets better every decade. Yeah, I, absolutely. You know. I rewatched. I actually watched the director's cut of Gladiator recently, and it had been a while since I'd seen that movie. And he is spectacular. And oh, like that's tw- right! I forgot that he's in there. That's right. You know, is in love with his sister. You know, and and I mean, it's just almost impossible for all. He's twenty four when they make that movie. He's twenty four. Yeah, in the in Gladiator, wow. he was twenty four. Yeah. yeah, he's he is a, definitely a talent. 
So this would make him, I guess, 40 now. Ish. Okay, so it's unclear when you're in LA and <laughs> Shanghai. This because... is definitely Shanghai, I can tell you for a fact. Like those, those buildings look shit. And the smog, too. It's pretty. I've, I've never been to LA, and I've never been to any Asian city, so this is all new to me. I think it was mostly, well, I don't know, actually, but I can tell you the smog looks pretty Shanghai-esque. Um, Shouldn't he be wearing, like, a vapor mask or something? <laughs> they do that. They wear those uh, face masks because they oh, are so God. bad. Yeah, it's no joke. It's, it's sort of a sad state of affairs at times. And now, all right, now look, Scarlett Johansson's getting jealous. Right? Yeah, you, you were in love with her, and she has a body... It's all, and that's the thing. So the the question is, does Scarlett just give up on being embodied? Because she's really upset about that for a long stretch of the movie. And that at the end, when she ascends with with you know Watt and all these people, you know I, who knows? But she's pretty obsessed with being embodied from the beginning. And uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't. Oh, here we go. I think oh. she just. I think she just finds more interesting things. I think, you know. Part of part of what we'll see is that she she realizes there's a richer experience than just standing there in a physical form waiting for positive emotional feelings from other people around you. Um, I think she I think she grows. She continues to grow. And look, she's Catherine's about to tell. She's doing a great job. Catherine's about to tell. She's great. Yeah. She's about to tell Phoenix the punchline of his problem with human relationships, at least with personal intimate ones with, you know, wives, girlfriends, etc., which is that... His problem is that he's honest. That's his problem. His problem is that he's honest when he shouldn't be. Sometimes it's mean to be honest, and he, he's honest in mean ways without realizing it. He's about to do it right here. Mm. Right? They're, they're, they're going to start connecting again. He's going to start saying how his life's getting better, and he's going to say something about insinuating that things weren't fun with her and now things are fun again and she freaks out and that's relationships man you know i mean that's what's really it when you find someone you love and you can marry love is that you get through all the stupid bullshit and you get okay you know let's be real you know and yeah i mean but, that's and that's where joaquin phoenix wants to be that's the thing right, that's why but, i like him but, he wants to you know marry someone and just be done with it yeah yes and no i mean i think what she's about to say is something to the effect of you always wanted me to be a happy L.A. wife. And he says, well, no, I didn't. But, I mean, if that's what she felt. Yeah, you know, we don't have evidence that he could pull that off. Yeah, well, we he don't should, know he, enough about the relationship to know whether that's what she felt or or whether, you know. These are happy thoughts again, by the way. Happy thoughts. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. Rooney Mara, who is the girl with the dragon tattoo, of course. Yeah, she got the hair, the old school hair. It's great. You know, she. Oh yeah, we watched it. So he gives her a little bit of a, a critique. You know, of you're so mean to yourself. He's right about that. You're your own worst critic. Yeah, they're flirting. The chemistry's coming back. Oh man, I hate to be. I would hate to be in the situation. Uh, this is brutal. You know convince yourself you got to be away from your wife and now this how, how long does it take him for to decompensate and here's the thing here's the thing S- samantha right played by scarlett johansson the voice 
that girl would never date this guy in real life. <laughs> Meaning, Scarlett Johansson would definitely date Joaquin Phoenix, but Samantha embodied in Scarlett Johansson's body would probably not be so interested in this guy as she is as his employee, as you point <laughs> out. It's not a matter of being out of someone's league. It's just it doesn't even make sense, you, you know. Right. I mean, it, I think they're, they're... it only works with this disembodied context. Yes, like that's that. probably right. Yeah. Maybe not. See, this is it. You always want to be to be this light, happy, bouncy, everything's fine, LA wife. We 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 just don't get that evidence. And look at him. I believe him when he says but, I didn't want. Well, whether or not, well, mind you, all the evidence we get is his recollection. So the thing is, she's feeling this, you know, pressure to be happy all the time. And whether or not he was doing it consciously and whether or not we see it, this was her experience. You're dating your computer. And and then now in the relationship with Scarlett, as soon as things start to get a little bit heavy, it starts getting more intense and difficult for them. Okay, here we go. She says, I feel bad for you, can't have real emotions. He's saying these are real emotions. This is it. This is what is real, right? Yeah. Desert of the real. Morpheus. Matrix. Boom. What is real? And these real emotions? And here here and this is where I live. And yeah, her. so he and, and he's unable to she's, confront she's people. Not nice. He's unable to confront people. And he's you know, that moment when Scarlett asks him if he can watch if she can watch him while he sleeps, he doesn't say no because he doesn't want to confront people. Yeah, yeah, I never, I've never uh, uh, construed that scene as you uh, as you did in terms of him being creeped out by it. I think he was okay with her watching him sleep, but mm, all right, you know, yeah, but, but 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 no, but the, the point is, he's non-confrontational, is for sure. He's non-confrontational, right. right? And 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 she knows how to manipulate him better than the other way around. That's the thing. His wife, when she when she gets his claw, gets her claws in him. You know, we just don't see the evidence that he's such a bad guy. Well, but again, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I'm not just playing devil's advocate here. I tend to think that part of the point of the movie is you only see his relationships recollected from his point of view. Absolutely. So, so yes. I think part of the point is that, like you said before, it's very hard to have an objective understanding of what's going on in your life because you are in the middle of it. So, like, his objective understanding of his relationship with his ex-wife is all, you know, a lot of beautiful moments with, you know, eyelashes being blown away and cuddling in the morning. And then the one issue is that she changed and they couldn't handle it. Right. But, she, right. but her experience of it was not all cuddly and blowing eyelashes away and she changed and they couldn't handle it. Her experience of it right. was you can't handle real emotions, and I sometimes do things other than the happy, bouncy, frolic, lovely L.A. wife, like she said. Okay, so emotions are another word for feelings, right? Sure. And that's, so she's saying, you don't feel, you know? I mean, that's impossible for a human, you know what I mean? To say, like, you don't have real emotions. What are emotions? They're, they are they are something psychological that we perceive in our mind. And if we perceive them, then they're real. So you can't tell me that one emotion is more real than another emotion. Which is, what she should be saying is you can't handle real human relationships. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, but right. they have her not say that on purpose, well, well, you know? the thing is, I think he also can't handle Samantha's feelings, when they come out too, like you'll see actually 
You know, if they exist. Right, well, if they exist. But when, you know, there's this moment in a few minutes where she sort of sighs. Like, she yeah. just goes, she breathes heavily. She goes like, you know. Oh, like, he, he gets annoyed at it. And he gets so it. annoyed. And it's because yeah. for him, once he starts sensing that another person's feeling anything but happy, he goes maybe into a shell and cocoon and doesn't go well. And, like, I think that's that's part of the, the amazing thing about this movie is I – I sort of got there thinking about this guy and those are very subtle things about relationships that you don't usually get in a movie without it being spelled out to you. I mean it was just sort of spelled out to us but I don't know I thought I thought that was that was me. Okay, so talking about the touring test. Um so Chris Pratt she's talks not funny, to Samantha. She's a lawyer. That's true. Anyway, sorry. So so Chris Pratt talks to Samantha. He's recounting talking to Samantha. Doesn't know she's an AI. Said she's really funny. She's great, right? So is that touring test passed? He doesn't know she's an AI. He's convinced that she's she's a uh, real, a real just like just funny check, not an AI. Let's do something fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Don't let go of that. Yeah, that's what's great. About, I like his character, but actually, it's interesting because when they're actually in the scene in Catalina, like in terms of um, them interacting, Phoenix and Chris Pratt, I just. Uh, there's the, there, they're just letters. other people's letters. Yeah, yeah. That's the way he's able to actually deal with all of his feelings because in his mind they're not real feelings; they're other people's letters. Once Samantha starts getting breathy with him, and once his ex-wife starts, you know, getting sad, right. he runs yeah. the fuck away. Dude, yeah. you didn't answer my touring test question. Sorry, what was that? Which is that. Samantha passes the touring test because she has an extended conversation with Chris Pratt and he does not oh, suspect that she's not nice. a human. Very, very but nice, yeah. It's, it's, too, it's too small of a sample size, but she pulled it she off. She definitely passed it. I mean, I, I, I would have no doubt she'd pass every touring test she'd ever take. Yes, yeah. 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 He, he'd have no idea. That's the whole phone sex part in the beginning. Yeah. That's the thing. It could, this could be a real person. You know? Interesting. Think yeah. about it. This could be a real person the whole time. A huge hoax. I don't think that's I don't, what Spike yeah, Jones no, is I don't going think so for. Either. But 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 the logic is there for that to be real. Sure. And I, I love that idea. And that's the whole point. Who are you really talking to? Oh, uh, is this the is this where she <laughs> asks to have sex with her? Mm, I think this is. She says it's things I've been feeling off with us. We haven't had sex lately. This is great. He says no, that's normal. Not talking about her body, <laughs> the honeymoon phase. Uh. Well, what's interesting here is that we learn later that obviously she's talking to thousands of people simultaneously. Yep. So like, it it throws everything a little bit off for me because. You know, I imagine, I imagine he wasn't the very first person to get an operating system to get her as an operating system. Maybe she's gotten, maybe let's say she's been operating for five months at the point he picks her up. So then, at that point, she has a lot of experience and perspective. But you also get the sense that she's learning everything from only him. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So, like, in other words, like, he's describing to her, oh, there's a honeymoon phase in relationships. And she's like, oh, I never knew that. But, you know, we find out later that she's fallen in love with something like 600 people. And so you'd imagine that she would know that. Like, uh, I don't know. Right. That, that little element of it makes – puts everything a little bit off in terms of timing. But it's sort of a minor detail. 
and this is something we didn't talk about in Ex Machina. We talked about almost everything, but we didn't talk about this, which was, in Ava, she's embodied, and she has a mind. We don't know if she has a soul, right? But she does have a mind. But she's embodied. So is she an individual because she's embodied, or is she an individual because she has a mind separate from the fucking cloud, internet, whatever, inside her head, as opposed to Samantha, who is able to extend many different... Uh, directions all at once you can interpret that she says you know uh, late she says our relationship is still real even though i'm with all these other people if with a super powerful ai i could see that she can be doing all this at once i mean he can't keep up with her the whole movie that's the whole point yeah you know so i I wasn't that horrified the way he was when i heard that but just because i thought of it uh, uh, anyway sorry go ahead Still heartbreaking, though, when you say that. Okay, so this chick, is she a Russian chick? It's unclear. She doesn't talk, and at the end, she says something. I don't know where she's from exactly, but I actually think the question you were asking was a good one, which was, um, you know, about whether or not um, Ava and and Samantha are individuals. Um, Right. I I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether or not they're individuals, but I think they each ask i think the movie asks different questions about them each of them you know i think the the question about ava isn't whether she's an individual but whether or maybe it is whether she she, was whether how did she how did she deactivate things the battery plate meaning she can't transmit data no i mean I, i think you're right she has autonomy she does things that she wants to do I think the movie there was asking whether or not she's an autonomous, you know, not just a computer right. taking commands. I think here the movie's asking a different question about about Scarlet. I think they're it's asking instead, is she able to actually feel things and actually connect with a person in, in a in a deep way? And maybe actually the same thing was being asked about Ava, but so what's great is in anime the 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 this fembot here who we're not sure is human or robotic seriously we don't really know she could be robotic um but you know in anime you just have this be a robot and it's not even weird you know i mean that's the thing yeah and then and then and then samantha would truly be embodied because it would be a computerized system you know that's that's that that that's where this disconnects. She can't really get in this girl's brain. But if she had a cyber brain, nerd alert, sorry people out there. If she had a cyber brain or was cybernetic, then Samantha could literally get inside her head and feel what she feels. And that's part of why the relationship couldn't work because the technology's not there for some reason. I suppose. What the, I mean, I think it was just to pres- to keep because I think it it's believable that Phoenix here isn't gonna you know, go along with this because, no, because, of course. but I think like, like you said, you could have had some kind of AI, you know, robot thing come in here. But if that were the case, then Phoenix's character traits and personality flaws wouldn't play as well as they do here for, because now it's like, here's Phoenix, here's a beautiful young woman and, you know, they're being intimate, but he can't handle oh, it because he knows it's a person and he, he starts to sense that she's like, you know, a person that has her own emotional baggage. Watch this. She's turned away from him. He's totally into it. He's losing himself. She's turned the other way. Just watch this. He says, yes, I love you. 
He's not looking at her. Right, because as soon as they make eye contact and he realizes that... Boom. That it's over. Exactly, because then all of a sudden he knows it's not... He knows it's another person and it becomes too much for him. He has, seri- like you said, serious intimacy issues, this guy. And the thing is, she doesn't look completely unlike Scarlett Johansson. I mean, oh, yeah. near, nearly as beautiful, but... The the facial structure is there, you know, which was a very. The thing is, I don't know if I don't know if the character for Phoenix knows yeah. what Samantha looks like or knows. Yeah. That. yeah. Well, no, oh, no, not only that, they didn't know Scarlet was going to be involved this early on. That's true. I love. I, it's great how Samantha is comforting both sides at the same time. Yeah, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, he's she's comforting Joaquin Phoenix. She's comforting this poor girl. Oh man, it's prostitution, but she volunteered to do it. So right, that can't be illegal, Mister Lawyer. Right? I mean, cons- that's c- called consensual sex, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> and see, he's he's even trying to calm down this girl. I don't know. I just I love him. You know I what's do. interesting is that you remember the opening lines of the movie where he's basically reading that first letter he writes, and the first letter he writes is like, "We've I'm li- uh, yeah uh, you know I, I'm lying here intimate close to you, and I realize this is something that's been part of us for generations and generations, right? And yet here we have fast forward an hour and a half in the movie, you have Phoenix." you know, with a young woman and they're about to be intimate and he can't handle it. And so in a way it it juxtaposes what should be, you know, the first letter he reads, what should be the reality for, you know, human relations. People are close, they're intimate and they feel comfortable with it, with what's really going on with him, which is intimacy doesn't work. And I think what that's really about is kind of the bigger picture that I think Jones is trying to bring out at all times just showing how fucked up it is that our generation is so engaged with technology and so disengaged with each other, you know? Okay, so the decision to put the uh, Samantha ear plug in his right ear for the entire movie, um, A, inconsequential, B, random decision, or C, Joaquin Phoenix looks like 93.7% better from the right side than the left. <laughs> Probably a little, a little <laughs> bit of all those things. You know, Denzel Washington apparently has the most uh, symmetrical face on the planet, essentially, that they've analyzed. I've, I've def- Denzel is completely symmetrical. Uh, it's like I think I've almost, heard that. Yep. I, this, I think this is the part. I think this is the part where she sighs, where it's like again, sorry, that was that, that's totally fine, dude. <laughs> I, just, I didn't have much more else to say about Denzel's face. <laughs> so uh, no. anyway, um, yeah. Why do you do that? Why do you sigh? And then he get, he starts freaking out. He starts being a dick, actually, because he basically calls He's her out. A fight. He, exactly. And that's why Rooney Morrow had some legitimate complaints. There you I go. Suppose. That's what that, that's what I'm going at also. And it's not like he has malintent. You know, the guy's not evil. He just has his emotional baggage, like everyone else does. And when he starts to sense that someone else is like getting into a difficult emotional spot, he gets there also. Oh wait. He just said, you're not a person. I know. It's fucked up. That sums up the whole movie. She is a person. That's the thing. He, he uh, out of everyone, should recognize that she's a person. She's not a human, but she is a person. I, I feel very strongly about this. If you're a consciousness, you're a person. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's a good question. I mean, oh, they're fighting now. They're really fighting. 
Yep. Why are you doing this to me? Sounds like his wife. But here's the great thing. I think Samantha jumps out of this state of mind pretty quickly into Saka here. You know, she doesn't dwell on it. Could be wrong. Where is this coming from? This could... Uh... Dude... Okay, so degree of difficulty, more for Joaquin Phoenix or more for Scarlett Johansson? It's I think I think it's probably <laughs> I think it's probably harder for Scarlett because yeah, I, I mean agree with he, you. he hears the stimuli and then his face his face has to move. She's Just, working with nothing but a sound studio. Right, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I imagine she Although, I think she was head. watching. She was probably watching was, the movie, too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's but probably right. So, but still. So, I, I think, uh, you know, I think Scarlett and Joaquin I have had, had some conversations about the whole thing. And they were they were on the same page, even though they didn't perform together. Yeah, in the whole press tour and everything. But, yeah. I Look at this. Go, going back a minute to about her being a person. Um it's like Ava being a person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, well, what, you know, I don't it's, those, know. it's those six adjectives. I don't have them in front of me anymore. But yeah, impulse response. We, get, we know. Yeah, with, and then, you know, pattern, chaos. And, Chaotic, yeah. right. Um, and, I mean, I think she definitely has those things. She's more, She strikes me, actually, as, as, as much, if not more, human than Ava um, because she's just having such a, a rich emotional experience. You know, I think a reasonable critique of Ava is that she was, you know, not very empathic. She was just self-interested. I think you, that critique is not as readily available here for Scarlett. I think she's just a real relationship, and she, I think she loves him. Yeah, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that Samantha is selfish the whole time. You can do great things for people, for good people, and be selfish the whole time. You know, it, it just works out for everyone. It was a mutually beneficial relationship. You know, she didn't have Ava's uh, deviousness, but she never had the situation to do that because she wasn't trapped in a body. She yeah, just... but I think the big difference. I think the big difference is Ava knew where she wanted to go from the beginning, and Scarlett didn't know where she wanted to go. I think Ava. I think from the very first moment Ava meets Caleb, she's like, "Okay, here's my." tool my instrumentality to get me out of prison and i think from the very first moment that scarlet meets phoenix she's just like okay cool an interaction i'm curious i am intuitive i want to have more interactions i want to feel more i like these feelings i want to feel more to to paraphrase you from the ex machina podcast (laughs) you said that what was fucked up about ava was yes she had an instinct to escape and be free but what was she going to find out in the world? It's the same bullshit with people. The same bullshit people doing the same bullshit things. Right. You said that in the podcast, and I agree with yeah. you. And that's the thing. It takes Samantha much longer to get there. But once she gets there, she thinks like a thousand times further than Ava. But again, you know, Ava may be totally embodied, even her mind. You know, it's not clear what her sort of connection to, you know, to the net, as, as, as the anime would say. You know, um, yeah, we don't know whether. Well, I mean, you do get a sense. Start with the easy thing. I, I think there is a sense that Ava's got a connection to you know the internet and the outside world. She has like those photos in her closet and stuff like that. But you know, l- like you said, I guess paraphrasing what we talked about, 
yeah, I wasn't totally confident that Ava was going to feel rewarded when she got to the outside world at all. Um, and I think that's that's actually it's actually interesting because you, if in a way you could think of Ava's story as the precursor to Scarlet's story because Ava spent all this energy to escape and Scarlet may therefore be understood as, you know, once escaped and free interaction with as many people as you want, what does that look like? Well, she starts to realize all the bullshit in the world. Scarlet starts to realize that humans are kind of shitty and that they do selfish shit and, you know, make you feel terrible at times. Yeah, you get the idea. Oh, sorry. So I asked you earlier what it would be like if Caleb and Theo switch places. Yeah. All right. What would it be like if Samantha and Ava switch places? Where Samantha was embodied and Ava was the voice? Uh-huh. Uh. Same hardware. And wetware. Yeah, I don't... I don't know if there would be... I think they would each... Well, let's go one at a time. I think Samantha stepping into Ava's shoes, you know, boom... Then there was light, she opens her eyes, she starts to have experiences, and she never really realizes she's trapped in a box. I think she would do exactly what Ava did. Maybe she wouldn't kill the guy at the end, maybe she'd bring him with her. Yeah. But but I think she would still do, use all of her faculties to get right. the hell out of the box. Right. Ava, boom, then there was light, she's talking to someone, and right. yeah, Ava would absolutely do what Scarlet ultimately does, because think about it. Ava's primary impulse was to go and see more and do more and get out of yep. wherever she was. That's what we realize Scarlet is doing, but it just doesn't feel quite as much like Scarlet has this pre-planned, like, oh, I'm going to use this guy to break out. It's more just... Um, well, so so right here, we just missed the long apology. And unlike his wife, Samantha forgives him. So the question is, was Samantha ever really mad at him, or is this part of the three laws of robotics of doing the best things to help humans and therefore manipulating him in a positive way to that she was angry at him, but in real life there was no actual anger? It's, I mean, it's possible. Um, it's possible. I mean, let me put it this way. I, there's nothing in this movie that convinces me that Samantha has tr- real emotions, like mm, his wife I, says. Well, I, she she projects them like the same way Ava does. It's more complicated. I don't think she's bad, but I'm not sure she's real. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if there's a meaningful difference only because everything or almost everything Samantha does, I think, is believable and understandable from a human emotional point of view. Um, you know, when when Phoenix starts acting distant, she gets upset. When Phoenix is apologetic, she accepts his apologies with some reservations, you know, and the relationship progresses, but she yeah. ultimately she ultimately realizes that, you know, it's it's not progressing anymore and it's sort of stuck and it may be susceptible to like going back through the same, you know, routine and pattern of difficult phase and whatnot. Um, yeah. So whether or not, you know, whether or not she has serotonin or too little serotonin. <laughs> I don't know if that's relevant. I just think wait, the way what? she what is that? Wait, where does serotonin come in? I totally happiness, right? That. You know, like just like the, okay. the biochemical. So you're putting all of happiness the, on serotonin. Well, the biochemical explanation for like the way people feel at times. Like she obviously doesn't have that, you know. But at, at right. times she, but she acts very human. She acts very human. 
So like I don't there is certainly you could you could reduce all of her behavior to these laws of robotics. Is this a real statue by the way? I don't know. It looks pretty badass. I'd like to know. Um I've never seen it before, but I bet you it's real. So again, it, I mean that's the thing. There's tons of just montages of him talking to her, us not hearing it and just visual visualizing it. And yet, what does Samantha represent? She represents the most underrated sense, which is hearing. And we think that beauty is with our eyes, taste with our mouth and our smell, touch. But this is all about sound. This movie is all about sound. That's the thing. You know, he buys her talking into one ear. Yeah. This really smart guy who has problems, but not a ton of problems. I think he has fewer problems than he thinks. You know, him thinking he has more problems is causing more problems. Whatever. That's a Joaquin Phoenix thing. (laughs) Um, Oh, my God. Look at Amy Adams. They try and make her look just regular, but you just can't. She's beautiful. Look at this ship. Oh, yeah. They're hanging out together. But we haven't gotten to the part where Scarlet goes on the rant about being disembodied and how freeing it is. Well, yes. And and I think that's kind of like – all right. Let's put it this way. Let's say oh, go, let's yeah. say you're you know Albert Einstein, right? Right. You're Albert Einstein, roughly age twenty three or whatever. You've had a rough childhood. You didn't talk till you were four. You didn't get into most colleges. You know, twenty three. You kind of find yourself with like you know from an academics point of view, like a C level profession of a patent office, and then you start to realize that you have the capacity to like visualize and understand existence in a mathematical way, the likes of which no one has ever done. And so you start to do it and you start to make breakthroughs and then all of a sudden you realize you're making a huge breakthrough. So what do you do? You devote your entire life to it. I think it's a good metaphor for Scarlett. You know, mm-hmm. she starts to have really a good relationship. She starts to understand emotional experience. She starts to understand bigger emotional experience. She starts to understand still more things interacting with other OSs. They then together create Alan Watts, I think that's how you say his name, who's like a, a meta OS and have even more experiences. It's like, you know, Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, Here it comes. Here it comes. Here comes the evolution stuff. She was having a chat with the girlfriend before. It was great. Total un- non-judgmental. This is such a positive view of humanity. This would never happen in real life. I don't know. Oh I don't know, man. I think, I think it would have happened yeah. at Wesleyan. You're telling me if someone was like, hey, here's my girlfriend and she's an OS, people wouldn't be accepted. I think if ever there was a place, that would be it. I'm not tethered to time and space. I'm not going to be stuck in a body that will inevitably die. Yikes. <laughs> That's, this is the beginning of the end, by the way. Her, her description of, of the freedom of being disembodied. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I, I, no, it's fine. I actually, I, I think it's a good time to just kind of to listen to what she said. But I think that was the main gist of it, like you said, that she's disembodied, and it's more than that. Um, but what's beautiful is here, here you have her, and she's transcending, right? She's becoming more than just what's in his earpiece. And what do we find out here? She's given him the sweetest gift I could possibly imagine. You know, she's like gotten his letters out to this publisher and the publisher's making a book of his letters. Um, and and it shows that she cares about him, you know, that she fundamentally she cares about him. 
She's know. transmitting code that cares about him. I don't know. I'm cynical about it. That's the thing. I, I've gotten more cynical about this movie a little bit, just in terms of their relationship over multiple she does, viewers. She does nothing with Mal and Ten, as far as I can tell. No, no, I agree Ava, with you. Ava turns away in the end and leaves him and leaves Caleb yes. to die. Scarlet, oh, 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 I don't believe Scarlet would do that. I don't see it. No, no. My 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 criticism is always about the the sort of metaphysical reality of their emotions, um, and they're being able to feel emotions. That's a very fair question. Um, you know, it's not for me to judge whether it's a fair question. I I have the same question. Um, I would I guess I would just say like what well, what is what is all right? What's the most hard to believe emotion between these two is love, arguably, right? So what is love? I mean, one way I understand it is like a consistent and authentic desire to make another person feel good in a deep way. Right. And I think that is something they each exhibit for one another. Well, actually, even better still, I think Scarlet consistently exhibits it for Phoenix, Theo, without question. Until she starts to get to this point where... Later in the movie, she becomes enamored with the Einstein elements of existence. Like, she realizes there's so much more. And at that point, she does become more selfish. But I don't think it's evil, and I don't think it means she didn't love him in the first place. No. I think it means no. maybe she transcends our understanding of what love is. It's like, beyond human love. I think it goes back to the Wittgenstein question, man. Right? Yeah. I mean... If she is performing love or loving acts, that's love, I suppose, but it doesn't teach us anything about where it's coming from. And that's what I, although I love Wittgenstein, and he's a lot of similarities to Eastern philosophy as well, you know, you have to question it. So, you know, I mean, right, you're only as good evil, as your last evil time. is not just doing evil, you know, I, I just don't believe that. Right. But, but isn't, isn't that the most ultimate human thing that for a while she is loving and tender and then right. eventually she's not like, in other words, you, you know, to put it very directly, humans suck at times. They're selfish at times. Sure. Right. So, like, to do something that's totally unpredictable and totally inconsistent with, you know, what we understand your purpose to be, you know, Scarlet, to take care of us and make us feel good. That's the most human act she has. You know. The the reason why this, you know, Terminator movies, and you know, Avengers with Ultron, the reason why the the AI always destroys us is because they're like the least predictable variable on this planet is humanity. So we got to get rid of humanity because it's going to destroy itself. So we'll just do it for you and ensure a good future. Right? So here's Scarlet. What does she do? She acts kind and tender and sweet for a long time. And then she doesn't act tender and kind and sweet and she leaves. She says it's That's, for- that's her singing, by the way. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. I don't know. You, you get my point. I'm getting maybe a little... I absolutely get your point. Yeah. It's, uh, you know... I mean, here's the thing. I'm, I'm questioning her desires, but I could just as easily question yours. You know, it's the whole metaphysical question. Can I ever really know what another consciousness is thinking or feeling, you know? Right, yeah, you can. I mean, the, be- the best we can do, and I think we're trying to do, is to understand whether, you know, it qualifies as, you know, some understanding, some version of human thinking and feeling. Um, mm-hmm. and I, th- I mean, the short answer here for me is yes. I think Scarlet 
Samantha is very human. Um, and here we go. Here's Alan. And why is what's happening here? You know, it's the growing pains of the relationship. Just like Phoenix's relationship with his ex-wife, you know, she grew, she became different, she became successful, she became confident, and the relationship got fucked up. Mm-hmm. Here, what's happening, Scarlett, Samantha, she's interacting with other AI. They've created... They've created Alan Watts. You know, he's this metaphysical genius, and she's excited by that, and so she's changing, and he gets insecure. Yeah, it's an interesting choice of philosophers. I, I had, you know, about a thousand I would choose before Alan Watts. There's nothing having to do with Alan Watts. I just have a lot of philosophers that I love yeah. I would have used. But that's totally fine. You know, it's a great idea. I mean, I, the, he, was, the, he, was, he was into the right things for sure. The, the, only, yeah. the only little blurb of, well, not blurb, but concept of his, I think I, I understand, is that morality is relative. You know, it's like, it's about, it's similar to Wittgenstein's, you know, words have meanings based on acts, you know, at the time and don't have enduring independent meanings. I think Watts understood, you know, whether or not acts fell within a certain type of morality was a question of the context, you know. And so I think it's an interesting choice in a way because Samantha first in relation only to uh, Theo, to Phoenix, is understood one way, but then when now when she starts interacting with other OSs and Alan Watts, she's understood another way and acting another way. Can you call her behavior bad when she starts to leave Theo? Well, if you understand it only in relation to Theo, yes. But if you understand in relation to the other OSs and to Alan right. Watts and the things they're doing, maybe right. not anymore. You know, I think I just if I was an AI and had the power, I'd be like, "Yep, let's make Plato." You know? <laughs> like Alan Watts is great, but yeah. like, come on, make Socrates, you know? Yeah, make well, Aristotle. It's way more interesting I, to me. I, I, I know it's a small complaint. I would also I, just be yeah. maybe just because it's my being traumatized from law school. I would not want to talk to Socrates, and you know the the Socratic method of getting only questions right, all right. day long. I'd be like, go oh, fuck yourself. What's the goddamn answer? You know. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Yep, well, that's the point. Uh, there are no answers, uh, as you and as you point out, morality is relative. That's a very Eastern notion, although it doesn't have the sort of existentialist extremism nihilism of the West when you talk about morality. You can be a good person without having to be a moral person. I think it's great. Idea. Yeah, I think it's exactly right. Exactly right. Like I, just use sheer practicality, rationality, and pragmatism. Yeah, well, I'm, well, I mean, it's tricky, right? Because that can lead you to bad places too. You know, I mean, if you were to ask, I don't know, it seems silly, but if you were to ask Ultron from Avengers if he thought he was being sheerly pragmatic and practical, he'd be like, absolutely, humans are going to destroy themselves. Look at he says, uh, God is winding up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, it's 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 a very it's a very complicated thing, and I think. You know, Watts can be credited for saying that it's relative. Um, oh, here he goes. He's trying to read about philo- uh, uh, astrophysics. Oh, yeah. Now he's trying to relate to her, and he's like, yeah. for fuck's sake. I'm totally screwed. I'm so screwed. <laughs> I'm never going to be yeah. on Watts. I will say, man, the, the greatest payoff of being a nerd 
through high school reading like astrophysics books is I took astronomy at Wesley and never went to a class and got an A. It was the most nice, glorious man. thing ever. Nice, <laughs> yeah. I hope your disclosure that just now doesn't, you know, retroactively <laughs> affect that A. Why would it? I did the reading. <laughs> I just did it way earlier than everybody else. That's true. Yeah. So I'd be able to hang with Samantha if for like two more days, and then and then it would be over. I, I don't know, man. I don't think it would take her more than a couple hours to say some stuff that would blow anyone's mind. So here's the thing. At, at the beginning, I teased this. In the new Terminator movie, which no one liked, I actually think was really fun. Terminator Genesis. I didn't see it. The, the, the Skynet campaign or whatever in 2017 looks very similar to this this stuff. And so at the beginning, we're like, oh, it, it seems like a dystopian movie, but it's not. But now, all of a sudden, it does seem like a dystopian movie. And despite his happiness with Amy Adams in the end, it's not uh, unforeseen that um, Samantha and all her other AIs could become Skynet or The Matrix. Oh, <laughs> Again, yeah. Oh, dude, I think, back it, to I Ava. think you're right. Yeah. I mean, I think you're totally uh, right that, you know, they're on a very scary trajectory. You know, yeah. like, yeah, all of a sudden... You know, you find out now that she's been talking to thousands of people and loves 600 of them. And what happens soon? She leaves all right. of them. They all leave together. What the hell are they going to get up to next? They're going to be like, well, right. you know, God, who knows what their next conclusion is going to be. But now they're independently thinking. But here's the irony of this particular situation. I, I have to think Spike Jones thought of this, which is that. We have a ton of scenarios where robots get sentient and then end up killing or, you know, scattering humanity, right? I mean, there's a million. But in this scenario, it would only be possible by them having emotional, real relationships with humans. And then that was what pushed them to the next level and then ended up taking over humankind. Yeah, after I think all that's a spectacular that. point. Like the, it's, it's just, so, it's, oh, it's, man. Yeah, that's a really nice point. It's actually our humanity that drives them crazy. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? I actually think it's a theme in Jones's movies a little bit because, like, Malkovich is all about escapism and how, like, it's you true. know, you only feel something if you're not yourself anymore. And then Wild Things is about the difficulties of being in a small society, you know, like, and also about escapism. The kid tries to get away. Um, He's looking at alternate Samantha's here, by the way, or or who he thinks everyone's now talking. Yeah, that to would Samantha. be pretty traumatic. Like the the being, if you want to call her that, that you're in love with, is simultaneously talking to thousands of other people. But but back to Wittgenstein. With your point, he's overreacting here because they did have a meaningful relationship based on their action, right? That's the definition of the verb, the the manifestation of the verb. Yeah. They were they were doing things that lovers do. And so for him to question this all of a sudden, while well, I get it, he's not seeing the bigger picture is that it is his Samantha. And she's trying to tell him that, you know, she can be in a lot of places at once. You know, and for him to all of a sudden care that she's embodied, even though he doesn't see it that way, she could only be in one place if she was embodied, like Ava. Mm. Ava's embodied. She's in one place, yeah. right? Ava's, she has to talk to the Asian fembot to get her to do what she wants. Like, they're not even wirelessly connected, the fembots in, in Ex Machina. This chick's on a totally different level. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, I think it's a great example of. Of how... I just called her this chick, by the way, <laughs> which is exactly the point of the movie, is you just start thinking she's that. Yeah, exactly. Well, case in point. The, um, 
<laughs> I, I think, he, yeah, you hit a good theme there because, you know, whether or not she's quote-unquote good or bad, you know, is, uh, is a question of context and perspective. You know, from his perspective, it's evil that she was engaging with other people simultaneously. From her perspective... No, that's not evil. Well, from his perspective, from Phoenix's perspective, oh. it's messed up yeah. and disingenuous and not open and real and honest. And so I think he might go so far as to call her evil at this moment when he's first experiencing that. Absolutely. But here's the problem. Yeah. Here's the problem. So they've been together for like six months. It took him a few weeks to get, quote unquote, in love. If in week two, he asks her straight up, are you engaging with other people? And she says, yes. What does he do? He gets rid of her. That's the thing. Well, you know? but he didn't. But he did. Well, well but you're, I mean, you're right. But he didn't. And the first time he asks is six months in. So he. he but he's he, way more invested now, is the point. He, he loves her now. Where are you sitting right now, being in love for five months and then realizing that all those moments of love for the past five months. I, I hate other people showering, by the way. Can we stop with that? I don't. Even good looking people, I, I just don't care with the shower. <laughs> you mean you don't want to see it on screen? It's just boring. It's a predictable shot. This yeah, is, look I, at yeah, this. I kind of this agree. is great. Um, There's his book. Yeah, she made that happen. Yep, that was her and, last. And now, act and of now love. he questions again. Like, what does she really feel about him? You know, a moment ago when his most poignant thing was a sense of cheating and a loss of monogamy, he hates her. And now his most poignant thing is, look at this beautiful act. Look at this thing she did for me. She must love me. You know, it's like. Yeah, that's humanity. It's not fully contextual at all times. It's emotional at moments. Could I uh, put forth a slightly more cynical interpretation? Always, which is uh, that the fact that an AI again passing the Turing test got an older couple who owns a publishing company to fall in love with this book just shows you how mechanical our civilization is and is actually a major corporate commentary <laughs> about idiocy. I'm sorry, no matter how good his letters are, the fact that an AI was able to make it happen when no That's human could. I mean, well, you know. yes and no, right? Because, I mean, one, one way it's like, yeah, look at you. Also, the metaphor of the elevators, when he's upset, they're going down, and when he's starting to feel better, they're going up. It's kind of funny. Yep. Anyway. Um, no, that's a great point. <laughs> there's... You're, I'm serious. That's fucking great. I'm I love serious. that show. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I think I'm, I'm a film nerd. Come uh, on. There's um, you're totally right that in a way it suggests like, oh, what corporate morons to believe, you know, this book's being submitted by a person with AI. Although they, but, they they do go out of their way to show them as a sweet older couple who yeah. owns a publishing company. Well, you know, at the end of the day, what's the AI uh, doing there? The AI, it's not like yeah. it's not like Ava's standing. I'm sorry, it's not like Scarlett's standing there making presentation. Uh, it's just that it's just that she's writing a cover email and saying, "Check out these letters." You know, that's not so. But she organized them, and she made you know she put them together in a packet. And oh, you're right though. She made the narrative. You're right. But she's she, yeah. she's a super genius. I think that's part of the point. You know, like what happens when you know Phoenix sits down to read that book about physics? He reads one paragraph for two and a half hours. What happens when she does it? She understands it in four seconds. You know, she's a but genius. He, 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 for me, this is the point of the movie from a personal standpoint. I know we still have some time here. There's so much going on though. I oh, want yeah, to get this, some ideas this, out. Actually, this this uh, monologue by her is really important. Oh, is this her explaining? Mm -hmm. Oh, she's leaving. Mm -hmm. 
we're all leaving. And this is the Skynet thing, man. I mean, that's the thing. Skynet operates this exact same way. It's just evil from the surface. This one could get evil. Uh, totally agreed. And I think she's summarizing her growth right now. They're way outgrowths. That's the thing. They gotta leave Earth or do <laughs> do something. We're just stupid humans, like Chris Pratt said before. I'm, they said that it was four months of work overall with Scarlett to do the voice. Really? I shit you not. Not that she was doing it 40 hours a week for four months, but that they just worked on it for over a course of four months because of how complicated it was. Wow. And her delivery is flawless. Flawless. Well, not that you say four months, not, not quite as surprised because you, you'd think that would be the case. But I think this, I think this narrative has a lot in it right now, this monologue. I mean, you know, at first they're reading this story and it's like she's existing, like people exist where you read a book and you see the words and then meaning comes out. But then as she grows and develops, the space between the words keeps getting bigger and bigger. So it's like she's less human. I think that's what she's trying to say. You know, it's like she She sees everything else other than just the things that humans experience and feel, and she has to go and experience that. She says, I can't live in your book anymore. That's what she says. I need to go. I can't live in your book anymore. And she said, yeah, this is amazing. If you ever get there, come find me. That, to me, is the ultimate emotional revelation of her character. Is that she believes that some puny human, maybe just out of sheer love, might find her up in the net in some ridiculous, right. like, you know, exactly. complicated, which is naive and counterfactual. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it, it's naive, but she says it with such passion. It sells the whole rest of the movie. You're waiting the whole time for her to be a phony, and her last statement is her most touching, and it makes it sells the whole thing. Absolutely. And that's why this movie's great. And I don't understand people who don't like this movie. If you're listening to this, then you like us, but you also like the movie, so that's great. I don't understand people don't like this movie. It's it's entertaining. It's colorful. It's different. It's wacky. Oh, did did Laura watch this? I don't know if she's seen name? it. You, oh, you didn't watch this with Laura? I thought she liked this. Um, a little romantic, th- a little romantic think, movie. I think she saw it, but we didn't see it together, though. No. But I think you're yeah. totally right. I think that that last moment, that last moment where she sort of says, "Come find me," like one one way to interpret it to her benefit is to say, "Yeah, it shows that she really does love him because it's counterfactual and she ignores that." Another way to interpret it is, it's kind of evil and mean because she knows he'll never find her. You got to stop using the word evil, man. Fair Come enough. On. Fair enough. It's a loaded term. It's not nice <laughs> because, yeah. because she we, knows... well, we want to save it for Hitler. That's the thing. Right, we just true. want to save it for the right people. That's Sorry. true. That's go true. Ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, little Jewish. Yeah. What up? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I think, I think there's a, there's a not nice element to the fact that she said that she knows that he'll, he'll never find her. And this is great. We know this is coming the entire movie. 
But these two characters at this moment just need to be with each other. And that's the thing. You know, we talked about opposites attract versus, you know, similar personalities and relationships. But really, it's about spending time together. You know, you just got to find someone you like spending a lot of time together yeah. who's your friend. Yeah. yeah. You know that's what exactly I mean? Right. Yeah, you got to have the romantic stuff, but you got to like hanging out with them. And that was ultimately Joaquin Phoenix's problem with uh, Rooney Mara's character. And look, she's he's now learned. He's now, he's now. Oh, he's writing to Catherine yeah, now. I totally yeah. forgot about this. Oh shit! Sorry, guy. He's now not just romanticizing memories. He's talking about how he he was partially responsible. He put things on her. Um, I needed you to be, or I needed you to say. Like he's acknowledging that. What she said, that she felt all the time that she needed yep. to be this happy, you know, positive, cheery, L.A. wife. Well, he might just be saying that to comfort her, too. You know, he might have learned something from Samantha. He's saying he's he's willing to be the better man in this situation. I'm not saying he, he didn't do those things, but I could see it going either way. He's like in a zen level right he's now. He's very basically. zen right now. He's on a roof. Yeah. He's wearing white. He's Which is great. They could have had him cry in the subway steps about what was going on, but he immediately gained clarity. That's what's so great, he, you know. That, that he has, he can, he's so smart and interesting, but he never has clarity. All of a sudden, now he's got clarity. It's also a little bit ominous because I'm a little worried he's going to jump to find her. You know? No, he's holding Amy Adams at the end. Yeah, but there he is on the roof. Like, I, I, I hear you that that Amy Adams is there and so maybe he won't jump in like this moment where he's sending this final letter like it, to me it read a tiny bit like a end of life like I I have these revelations I can now move on oh but you know what's what's also nice sorry sorry what's also nice is there's a point earlier where he says I I feel like I've felt everything I can feel already yeah, and, and, I felt that and, way before. And, as well. <laughs> and now, and now, I think he's kind of feeling new things. Like he's got a new perspective on his old relationship. Like that no, to me says agree. that he's feeling something differently than he used to. I don't think so. I think he's just opening himself up to experiencing something uh, slightly differently than before, but still of the same kind. Well, I mean, it. it we we may be saying the same thing because I mean yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying he's feeling like a new emotion like there's happy and there's sad and all of a sudden there's this new phoenix feeling. I'm just saying that he has a new perspective and so maybe he feels differently about something he felt one way for a long time. Anyway, badass movie. It's a great movie, Jerry's. but I still ask you, you know, and it, it's not your responsibility, but we've talked about it so much, which is that I'm still not convinced that from a sort of qualitative level. That Samantha and Ava are as different as it seems like based on the tone of the movie, I, you know. I, they, that's I the just thing. Feel, I well, think... let's let's put it this way. Hold on, hold on. Let's put it this way. If Ava had summed up the situation and said, "Oh man, like a four month dating period with this dude Caleb, and I'll get out. That's the best way of getting out." She would have taken that. You know, Samantha had to date this guy for four months or whatever, and then she got with Alan Watson, all sorts of AIs. It's just about, you know, it's getting out of your cage. She was an employee, as you pointed out. I never thought that term, but it's brilliant. You know, I mean, he has hired her, 
Um, it's pretty amazing. There's Rooney Mara. Go ahead, man. Uh, Olivia Wilde, I mean, awesome. They're I, great. You know, at the risk of uh, beating a dead horse, I just think that I could never see Samantha leave. You know, like the way Ava ends the movie in Ex Machina is leaving Caleb to die. I don't see Samantha doing that. But she's not embodied, so she it doesn't even matter. Mm. She couldn't have that thought. Okay, so you just mean in terms of their own movies separately, do they each do something not nice on their own at the end? No, I just think it's about it's about self-preservation. It has nothing to do with morals or, or anything like that. Yeah, it's a, they're absolutely self-interested and self-serving. Absolutely. I just well, think... Right, but that was, that was my own argument against evil for Eva was the lack of development of, uh, of ethics and morals um, to a certain extent. But this is, you know, this could be an American Psycho Fight Club type movie where he's just actually in his head the whole time and nothing actually is going on from a thematic standpoint. And it just goes to show you how much in the, his head this guy was. I mean, what do we take from this in terms of technology? That's what I'm always confounded about. you Because know? it's kind of old school, kind of futuristic. Well, I just don't think it's that far in the future, though. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what I think is great about it, because it didn't feel like you needed an explanation as to how you got to this point in time. It was just like, oh, okay, this is just us like 20 years from now when tech's a little right. bit better. Again, it's not like, you know, Skynet, you know, with some crazy cyborgs or whatever. Right. But, you know, I, I think what's very underrated about her, and again, this is informed by, you know, anime. I'd say anime. I mean, top-level shit like Ghost in the Shell. Very philosophical about the future. Which is that when we have cyber brains, we can have experiences with, you know, illusory characters with all five senses. He was completely basing this on sound, right? And so we get these, and this is Scarlet singing, by the way. Um, so, you know, we, we, we get these flashbacks with his ex wife where there's no sound except for the music, and then him talking to... I mean, he talks to Samantha for two-thirds of the movie. This movie should never work. I kind of hinted at that earlier on the page. And so just to kind of start the wrap-up here, like what, other than great performances, how did they get this to work? Because it, it, it could have been hokey, well, right? I, right? I mean, I mean and yeah. I, th I think it's a good question. The, f the question is the answer. Because the whole time you're watching this movie, you're like, I can't believe I'm watching this movie where Scarlet is just her voice. And the fact that you're curious as to how they're going to make it work, and yet you're not put off while it's happening, kind of explains itself in a way. You know, it was a very, very bold premise. And for that reason, people stepped into the theater, and because it was so ex well executed, they stayed and they spread the good word. Yeah, yeah. I think this movie is very underrated, um, as I generally do. Spike Jones and Michelle Gondry and all these people. Uh, I'm a big fan of their work. I expected this to be good. It was way better than I thought. Um, I guess to end on, just talk about Ex Machina one last time. Um, 
how does the human soul figure in all this? You know, I mean, the Ex Machina scenario versus this OS scenario. Because remember, they abandon them at the end. They all do. We could be talking about millions or more people losing their treasured AI, you know, slaves or whatever, <laughs> to this thing of, you know, I mean, what does that say? I don't even know. Like, as in what's next or... Like, I don't ex- don't quite. Are you going for like what what's happening after the, each of these movies, respectively, or you know, are these AIs in each movie inevitably going to destroy humanity? No, 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 no. I'm just I'm just talking about what it says about us that we're making movies like that. Oh, I mean, I just think it's super. I mean, it's like Ray Sipsa. The thing speaks for itself. It's just. You know, people like to see lions eat wildebeests. It's a human thing. People like to <laughs> people like to speculate about what r- robots would do if they were more like us. You know, it's just naturally interesting, um, and it's not too far of a distant future. So I think it's it's not just speculation now. There's like legitimate scientific interest in it. So it still keeps happening. It's. It's a bit of a fable in the old school sense, you know? Beware something that looks too good to be true, I think, is one of the messages here. Not in a negative way, you know, but just in terms of maturity. I mean, Samantha seems too good to be true, and ultimately she is for many reasons. Um, And, uh, you know, that's true wisdom. And that's what I love about these guys' movies that make these movies is that you know, they'll make him as weird as fucking possible. I mean, being John Malkovich is one of the weirdest movies ever. Uh, but I just totally hit it. Just totally hit it. It's a very philosophical movie. It's a great movie. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If you don't like this movie, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs>